And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Monday, April 2nd, 2018. I'm Doug Hagman with my son Joe Hagman, something we call the Hagman Report, America's premier father-son of this game reporting team. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Thanks for your uh, belief and trust as we deal with all these on this onslaught of headlines. I was talking to John, our producer, and Joe. We were, we had a little bit of an informal meeting before the program, and you know, John says, man, it's just kind of a sideways news day and it, it really kind of feels that way we do hope that everyone had a blessed resurrection day uh the celebration of good friday and of course the resurrection uh, I, I look i i know i know about easter i know about the uh the pagan origins of, of, of easter the word easter the easter eggs i got all that we're not pagan we're not druids we're not we don't worship moloch you know i we do celebrate the resurrection end of story so um we do hope that everyone did um have a good day and a good weekend. Notice that uh, um, a resurgence. This is just kind of an observation. A lot more companies this year uh, uh, from previous years, which is good, taking Good Friday off. I don't know. I just happen to just see that, and that's kind of an anecdotal observation. Remember during the Obama regime. It wasn't happening that way. Things, you know, it was pretty secular. Now, just, and again, anecdotal observation, non-scientific, it just seemed like there were more more businesses taking Good Friday off. And I mention that only because, uh, and I'll pose this question, do you feel that because of Donald Trump, not not by Donald Trump, but because of Donald Trump, there is this kind of a resurgence in Christianity. Just a question. It's not a statement. I'm, I'm asking you. Uh, do you feel that there is perhaps uh, uh, people are paying attention to Christianity more? And uh, again, an observation. And, and this has to do with uh, uh, my, my, my observations last Friday and uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, so it, it, regardless, it's good. And I'm not saying Donald Trump is, is necessarily caused that Purposely, I'm saying that the movement, the people, there's something going on, I believe. I think that there is a revival of sorts. Now, we can, we can argue and contend the reason behind it, but, but I think that we're seeing that. Um, a couple of news pieces, of course, the Dow. The Dow uh, in trouble. By the way, for tonight, just to let you know, at the bottom of this hour, Jack Posobiec is going to come on, check in with us, talk to us about the current news issues. And then at the top of next hour, we've got uh, Michael Snyder coming on. Of course, he's a congressional candidate, and he's going to be talking about not not just his candidacy, but the news items. We need to get people in office. We 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 can't we can't sit behind the microphone. We're not doing that. Um, we have to get people in office so they can change things, whether it's on a, on a, uh, on a city or municipality level or a, a township or a county or a state, or if you're in Louisiana, a parish, um, or, or a federal level. 
and we can make the changes that we need. We're seeing it happen through local politics, and and this is something that, that I, I believe that we need to do. So, um, Snyder, Michael Snyder, are going to come on at the top of hour two, and then Peter Barry Chowka, who's got some explosive information, and, and I mean some information that's just going to rock your worldview. In my view, if you didn't catch it already, he's got a piece at the American Thinker Hagman Report dot com, and there are some there are some things that, you know we need to talk because there are some things going on. And that, of course, segues into the vacation, in quotation marks, by Laura Ingram and the um, the liberal fascist wanting to censor everybody um, that yeah. they don't agree with. And I think, Joe, and, and I, this, to me, this is extremely critical. Um, I think people need to watch... Use the Laura Ingram, what happened to Laura Ingram, from start to the present, from the very, very beginning, in terms of her first or her tweet about the Parkland shooting and the blowback, and analyze or be conscious of every event that took place. Because this, to me, is a study, an exhibit in the new... Uh, renewed, not new, but renewed attacks against the conservatives and especially the conservative Christians. You know, Laura Ingram appears on Fox News. She's not ashamed, for example, to, to have a, a ash cross on her forehead. Uh, of course, she wears a, a cross around her neck. And again, these are anecdotal observations. But did you notice the vicious attacks against her sponsors and how many sponsors are bailing on her? Now, I'm just submitting this for your observation. Are we witnessing, in this case, the renewed strategy of attacks by the progressive liberal fascists? And in this case, is this something that they are doing now across the board? Because when a, obviously when a shark smells blood in the water, senses blood in the water, they they swarm and they go after whatever's there, the, the chum in the water. And in this case, I think Laura Ingram is the chum by which future um, well, yeah. liberal fascists are going to be looking at this and saying, okay, now, this worked, and we needed to keep doing this. There, Yeah, and Fox News apparently is, is backing her, saying we're not going to let anybody be censored. And one of the interesting things that uh, last night that I posted up on Hagman Report that we covered on The Daily Show was a, a revisiting of a prophecy, a, a testimony given by Pastor uh, David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson. I was, was going to say Pastor no, I, I know, I know. And uh, it, it's so good to, to listen to because uh, from 1973, 35 years ago, he lays out his vision for what he sees coming in the future, and it covers everything from the uh, transformation of the church into the acceptance of, of sin and the celebration of it, to the social justice movement, and everything in between, to the attacks on on the Christian media, on the conservative media from Hollywood, to uh, you know, just all across the board. He hits he hits it right on the head. And I listened to that this weekend when I was doing some research, and I thought, you know. This is probably more relevant today than it was 35 years ago when it was first uh, spoken. And after, you know, reviewing the whole 52-minute uh, video, 
And looking at what was accomplished in the last 35 years, I put on underneath the video, can we have another, what will be left if we have another 35 years like we just had, looking back from where we were to where we came today? And I don't know that we can. And uh, anybody who hasn't listened to it, make the time to uh, fit this into your schedule, to listen to this in the background when you're doing something where where you can, uh, you know, kind of pay attention to what's being said because it's very accurate and it details the the persecution, the censorship, and the attacks and how they're going to continue to increase and unfold. And when we when you talk about what we've seen already and versus what we're going to experience, we really haven't even begun down well we have begun, but well, in the I grand think, scheme of things, it's right. going to get a lot worse. Right. And I think this is merely I submit this to you merely as a study in the the political venue, what's going on politically, and how the, the the tactics of the left. And consider one thing when when you're looking at this. Consider for a moment the um, um the well the bigger picture, the Facebook censorship and the Twitter censorship. We know what's going on there. And the um, uh, by the way, Facebook. This I, I mentioned this this morning on my show. And by the way, I want to thank everyone who responded to my question this morning. I was just musing out there about time management and resources and such. So I asked about um, uh, about my morning show, and I want to thank everyone who emailed in. I got an overwhelming response. I mean, an overwhelming response. I, I started typing back replies, and I'm thinking, holy cow, you know. I, I, but so thank you for those reply or those emails. But um I touched this this morning, the Facebook with uh, how they're looking at political ideology. There's a, there's a series of four criterion that they're using, and one of or the fourth one is the, the the political ideology that's not in tandem or in agreement with uh, what the what they what they calculate or what they believe the news to be or what the news is, and of course that's where we get the fake news and conspiracy theory those, those phrases. I don't know whether you saw this. This was a this this was a um, uh, a news story last week where Facebook came out and they admitted that they're censoring or they're blocking or otherwise prohibiting viewership of videos and even audio tracks. That oh are, yeah, of, of, they've so, done that for a long time, but it's right. becoming now uh, their practices are becoming more exposed. R- right. So m- the reason I bring this up again is when you look at you, you have the the censor the uh, the active censorship over here. And then you've, you've got this this study in uh, attack with Laura Ingram, and you can you can tell in both cases there's this desperation by the liberal fascists right now uh, that they are going for broke, and, and you know the old World War II phrase "balls to the wall." Um, that's and that's not to meant to be crude. That that's we can look it up in, in history. That, but um, that that's kind of what's happening. And I and I think the more this goes, the 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 more we see the censorship, the more we see the attacks of sponsors. Because we're we're look, we experience that too. Mm-hmm. I I think there will be, you know how there's always for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I think we're going to see a, a larger blowback. From the conservatives, I think, and this is something I, I, I've been asking people lately: What is it going to take for the for the conservatives, the political conservatives, or the Christian conservatives, to get off their backsides 
and to really engage the progressive fascists, the liberal fascists. Is it going to take a knock on the door, you know, for your guns? Is that the line in the sand? Where's the line in the sand? Is it when they shut outlets like ours or InfoWars or Hodges or Sheila or whoever, when they shut those? Where is your line in the sand? At what point are you going to become actively vocal in this? Because I believe that we can win on the numbers. If everyone of a conservative ideology, conservative ideology, posted their, their political views at one time on Twitter or Facebook and, and just kept doing it, going and just piling on, um, we could win on the numbers alone. Coach Dave Dobmeyer, I mean, just showing up, we can win. Because we've got them outnumbered. There's that small, that small minority of, of people out there who adhere to this fascist, liberal fascist ideology. And by the way, I got an email earlier saying, well, you're, you're using fascist too much and you're misusing fascist and fascism and communism are, are separate and they're, no, they're not. In fact, the emailer went well, on to. The definitions to, of them are technically well, different. Yeah. Um, they're both totalitarian or authoritarian types of government. But, but they, but see the history, Joe, has been so muddled with, with fascism and communism and socialism. The, the histories behind these ideologies, the right. political things, have been so re, revised. The history has been, which is why I was so absolutely over the top, uh, people noticed and said, we, you know, you know, Diana West coming on and her information is so vital to the understanding of where we are today. I just can't stress that enough. Um, how, how she identified the communism and, and the communist infiltration, the Soviet infiltration in this country and how when she was, when she went out looking for the Muslim infiltration, what did she find? The communist infiltration alongside and in tandem with mm-hmm. the Muslim infiltration. So, and kind of a force multiplier in this situation. So all of this, and, and that light bulb, when I started reading and, and finished reading our books, and, and the uproar by the conservative base saying, oh, man, that's just ridiculous. So I said all of that because I wanted to just to, just to make mention that, that uh, we have to, I think we have to become um, doers in this, Joe, and, I, and, and I'm just going to kick it over to you in, 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 a, in a big sense because, I know Sean Hannity doesn't, he often says, well, I don't believe in boycotts. Well, okay, Sean, I, I get that. But we're, we're not playing by the rules anymore. The rules, they, they toss the rules, the, the liberal progressive fascists toss the rules out the window. They're not playing by any rules. It's street fighting rules. There are no, you know, you're, you're not in a boxing ring, you're in an alley with these people. And, and, and and by the way, anyone who would be okay with the murdering of an unborn child, which I think is probably one of the most important issues to deal with. I know it sounds like I'm just like all over the place. But all of these issues, why not do with the same thing the progressive left, left is doing and open up battlefronts everywhere? Let's keep them busy for a change. And that's the tactic I want to take. But yeah, that's my opening statement. Well, how do we, how do we have time to do that on top of everything else that we are doing, you know, we talk a lot about how many of these, uh, uh, and, and it's right that one of the things that I caught from the uh, 1973 
you know, prophecy from David Wilkerson was he used the the same terms that we use today, the you know progressive uh, liberal mindset, and it's specifically because these people uh, are carrying out not only the will of the oppressors, the human oppressors, but also the spiritual side of that battle. And uh, it's very interesting. He goes into you know how the Pope will become more of a political figure than a spiritual one, and on and on and on with, with the, so many different things that we see coming sure. through today. But the but, go ahead, the, finish the your thoughts on. But I mean, just oh, go ahead. Well, I, you know, because this is a show in real time, and I see some comments. I don't usually pay attention to the comments because I just can't. I'm not a multitasker. Steve Quell can like read comments and talk and listen and. You know, sweep the floor at the same time. I can't do that. All right. So I saw this go by and, uh, I just wanted to address this. It's time sensitive. That's why I interrupted you. Because I'll get emails saying, you know, would you shut your no, mouth? Go for it. Um, okay. Uh, good luck with that, Doug. Where is it here? Um, hang on a second. I'll get that. I'll get, I'll get there. Well, what you're talking about with the boycotts and why you're finding that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Basically, these a couple of people are saying, you know, stop whining and do something. Well, this is what we're proposing. I thought. Okay, here it is, right? Right here. Stop whining or quit your whining and, and suggest some alternatives. Well, it's more than just suggesting alternatives. I think, and that, that's a good point. I, I I certainly agree with that. Riding the beast. As Eric the Tech said and John said, for example, YouTube, until, until we can't ride that beast anymore. And don't say, well, the harlot rode the beast. I, it's, it's a turn of expression in this case. Um, we have to exploit the tools used against us in like jujitsu. What is that? The, you know, martial arts. Yeah. We have to use the incoming force against our opponent. So we are doing, we, we are suggesting alternatives. If everyone can and would come together and would play the un, the street fight, would get into a street fight, again, using that as a metaphor, throwing out the rules, we can win surely on the numbers. And I think that that's what we have to do. But I just want to address the people who are saying, well, good luck with that, or it's not going to happen, it's never going to happen. So if that's if that's how you feel, what are you doing listening to this program? What are you doing watching in this program? Well, let me tell you something. I understand that feeling. I understand the... right. Uh, the attitude behind those statements because look at what, I mean, look at what Christian conservatives have allowed to have happen in their own churches, let alone their own government. And at some point, uh, when people, you know, don't take control, when people don't recognize, uh, you know, the deceptions, the uh, evil that's crept in, uh, they become blind to it. And that's what we have today. We have you know, so many people who are uh, blind to the actual problems. And then you have, uh, you know, I'd say less of an amount of people who actually are able to identify the problems and have, and then you have a very small fraction of those who actually know how, what to do to try to solve these problems and make it better. And what we really have is, um, as I've said many times in the past, the only real change is going to come when people are affected in each and in an individual way in a way that changes the way they live, their lifestyle, their the convenience of their lifestyle, uh, the habits they enjoy doing, or, or uh, even their, their employment. And until that happens on a massive scale, it's not going to be serious enough for anybody else to get involved. <clears throat> Most people won't. 
Well, I mean, that's an unfortunate hence, statement. And hence my question. Prayer can change that. A lot can change that. But right. But where's 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 our land? Where's our land line? Where's your line? At what point would what would it take you, as sitting at home? And and I'm asking this without malice. I'm just I'm curious. What event would would trigger you into action? The would rapture. It, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> No, say I, hello to my little. No, never mind. Um, but that's but would, would, it be, would it be? Would it be? Well, I, I, I know. And so it's, it's occupa- anything, occupation yeah. is not a passive activity. It's not. You can wait around all. Day. And people who think just because they don't have a an a massive audience to listen to, or to listen to what they have to say, that they don't have to say anything at all. That's not true. Everybody needs to. Anybody who has an opinion. Who, who has an, uh, an understanding should be saying things, whether, you know, it's in, as uncomfortable as it is to engage people, you know, on, in your day to day life, to engage people on social media, to engage people anywhere, e- even on, you know, internet message boards, comment sections, anywhere where your voice can be heard. But see, because you never know right. who's gonna, right. who's gonna come across those or read those or, who it's going to change by them reading what you have to say. So, and as a matter of fact, my mind on uh, over the years, I would I, I always read the comments, good and bad, on various articles, and sometimes my mind has been changed based on a comment by someone. Yeah, not recently on any so, internet websites because it seems like no matter the article, about three comments in, that's where the you know the racism and and the hatred and the name calling and the the uh, you know internet threats come in. I don't know how many people read comment sections uh, or forums. Yeah, or forums, yeah. but I mean it can get ugly really quick. It's and really, see, it's intentionally. Yeah, it, it is done intentionally. The the level of discourse in in, in the West has devolved so much. Um, uh, some very very well respected. Political forums in the past on the conservative side, I've seen devolve into nothing but uh, they, they, they lack intellectual discussion, they lack analysis, they lack uh, anything that that uh, of any worth. So you've got to move. But but I but, but what you said though, I think if we got together and if we did make comments, wrote comments, thoughtful intellectual comments that promoted the Christian conservative ideology. Uh, in in whatever on whatever topic that we're discussing, we can change minds. We can yeah, change we hearts, can. and that's the the goal. Uh, you know, and it doesn't matter if uh, you know you leave the comment and the ten people who comment after you uh, don't address it or or just call you names. None of that matters. All that matters is that you uh, plant the seed, and then uh, you hope that it, it's watered and it grows. But you just never know what who and what you're going to affect by uh, the things you say. And we all have the uh, opportunity to have a voice, especially with the Internet, and we should definitely take advantage of that. Um, I, I want to talk about this story while we were talking about Fire away. our uh, censorship and uh, the battle that we face. Uh, Air Force veteran sues after being pulled from a ceremony mid-speech. A retired Air Force sergeant was forcibly removed from a military retirement ceremony for mentioning the word God. Master Sergeant Oscar Rodriguez was invited to speak at an April 3rd, 2016 ceremony of an outgoing fellow Master Sergeant. Uh, in the video. Wait, 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 wait. April 3rd, you said? Yeah, this was from two years ago, but the suit has, um. Alright. 
this is the first time that I've seen it make news. Okay. But he is suing uh, after be- there's a video of him being literally uh, carried out for reading a script that was not approved by the Air Force because the script mentions God. And this is what the lawsuit is alleging. But they're saying that Rodriguez ignored numerous requests to respect the Air Force prescribed ceremony, unfortunately was forcibly removed. And he used an, he recited an old version of the flag folding ceremony Air Force script that was scrubbed due to its religious references, but the person retiring asked Rodriguez, who was delivering the speech, to use the old speech. What, right. what did he say I'm that was so bad? Right. Let us pray that God will reflect with admiration the willingness of one nation in her attempts to rid the word, world of tyranny, oppression, and misery. Okay. At that point, he was, uh, when he started to say it is one nation under God, right. he was removed. So, no, no, just to be clear, this is April of 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, the complaint was just filed in today. Where, okay, where was this speech at? Do we know? Yeah, we do. Um, the reason I'm asking this is what does happen today? Okay, the Travis Air Force Base. Okay, in California. It has okay in California. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a military base. Would would this happen today? Um, oh yeah, we've seen those oh, attacks mean, under against... under the Donald Trump administration. Yes, has as nothing has been changed Remember since that, he's been in. Who is that guy who was uh, that just uh, lunatic? Army guy who was promoting Islam and, and getting oh, laws oh, changed yeah. in the in the oh. military where people couldn't even have their Bibles open on their desks. Right. Um, uh, they couldn't. Put I want to say Weinstein. Yeah, that's what I want to say too. Is that is that it though? I mean, it, it could be. Uh, we'll find it. I'll yeah, find it during I'm, the break. I'm pretty sure it is. But and then you know back to the Laura Ingram thing. Uh, she took a week off, and they say that it is not related to this whole David Hogg thing, as David Hogg has doubled down. And called for Laura Ingram to be fired. Uh, Fox News has stepped in and said no, but she took a week uh, leave of absence. This after probably the worst week in her, uh, you know, television career after three sponsors left. It seems like it's much more calculated. It seemed like with her apology and with her uh, not being on air this week, as though she's, you know, being told to, to back down, which is the opposite of what we need to be doing in the face of people like. This David Hogg. I think Peter Chalka can. Yeah, we're going to talk about this with him. But when we come back, Jack Posobiec will be our guest. He's the author of the book Citizens for Trump, and he's also working on a new book. But he'll be joining us to bring us the latest from inside the Beltway. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report, April 2nd, Monday, 2018, the day after Resurrection Day. Jack Posobiec coming on shortly. Um, one thing I asked the crew here today, do we have to have a company policy? And I'm not kidding about this. I'm not fool. I'm not, this is not, do we have to have a company policy against snorting condoms? I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. If you don't know, then that's good because that's the latest viral teen craze. And, Wait, what? Yeah, Snorting? Just, yeah, don't even go there. It's not even really worth talking about, except to say, the um, 
just consider that what I just said. What's the, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Versus thirty years ago, it's just a fad that they're doing. You know, Tide that's not pods. A fad. That's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, you're Didn't right. Did the Tide pods kill people though, or put them in the hospital? Of course, the infants, of course, yeah, or the smaller children. But it, I, that's all. That's all I'm going to say. You know, if we have to really focus on news like that, the only importance of that story is how the media is wrapping that up and. and giving it to you as if this is something we should be paying attention to. So, don't. Jack, what's up coming up? Joe? Yeah, uh, real quick, we mentioned in the first segment the stock market that was very volatile today, down 700-plus at one point. And the reasons are, as I heard on the radio today, they're uh, saying that the, the reason the stock market is down is because the president has been tweeting really negative stuff about Amazon. And, and the what I actually heard today which was uh, in between uh, the Glenn Beck or, or Sean Hannity show. It was like a news ticker you hear across the number of different radio stations. And they said because of President Trump's misleading tweets about Amazon. Well, what did the president say uh, versus what? Isn't it, isn't it interesting plan? how they do that? Yeah, and, and I looked into this today, and it turns out that what the president was tweeting about absolutely was 100% true. And not only that, I have read about this months ago where the U.S. Post Office is losing, on average, a dollar and $1.50 on average for each package it delivers to Amazon. Coupled that with the fact that Amazon pays little to no taxes and uh, now are, is basically creating a monopoly along the lines of a number of markets where people are talking about uh, the, the antitrust laws and, and the government coming in to regulate them. But even NPR has admitted that Amazon... Uh, that their stock value dropped after the president tweeted about the criticism, but that the criticism is rightfully so, because Amazon, as uh, this interview reads, is making billions of dollars of profit while the uh, creating losses for the post office and for the taxpayers. And not only that, they're using that money to really branch out into a number of other areas. Whole Foods is, is an example of a company that Amazon has taken over. But if you read this article from NPR, examining Amazon's business model, you can read an interview with uh, somebody who, an expert here, who talks about uh, all the details and how much, 41% per package, the post office loses every time they deliver a package for Amazon. Well, which is crazy. Okay, and, and the, 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 we don't have to shop at Amazon. This is something that we all can do. <laughs> Lose Amazon and go to, for, for your... Visit your local bookstore, your your homegrown, home-owned bookstore, or your home-owned grocery store, corner market that's owned by someone in your community. But they don't come to your doorstep. We have to get out of that. Okay. I know. We have to, we really have to, this is something that we all can do. I, I will, we have a hardware store and that's locally owned. It's not part of any branch. It's not Home Depot. And I'll tell you what, I will go out of my way to visit the hardware store. Not that I, can, I do the same thing you with, know. The, with the Buzz and Bees for, for the pets. And they have all these, yes, these right. companies where you can get yep. things cheaper online and oh, yeah. have it delivered to your house. But I like uh, supporting the local businesses. And that's absolutely what we should always be doing, uh, especially with the money we make, is spending it in local communities, as we've had many guests on who talk about. What in Islamic communities, a dollar is spent within that community, you know, 12 to 14 times. Whereas right. in Christian communities, it's not even, sometimes 
<laughs> not even spend it all inside the community. And, and the, for Which those people, for those thing. people who say that, uh, just let us know. By the way, Eric, when he's on, he's good. He's here. oh, he, he's on. All right. Oh, no? no, I thought you gave me a thumbs up. All right. Okay. Uh, but, but, but for those people, well, you, you pay more. You know, uh, I would cut back my standard of living and pay more to support a local own locally owned business than anything else. And and you get to know the business owners because also when when you have a, a a nasty situation out there brewing. You may you may depend on what they've got. Um, just consider if 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 we believe what we're talking about, do we really believe, for example, that the society is it could very well collapse? Yeah, I, I think so. So if you believe that, how do you prepare yourself and protect yourself against, or at least mitigate the, the damages from that? And and that's by. Hey, getting to know your sheriff, getting to know, and asking your sheriff, are you an oath keeper? Are you, um, uh, find out what, where they you know, how they lean politically and ideologically. The same with local shops. You might need something when things are bad out there, locally. So get to know the shop owners and support the shop owners. Uh, uh, now, you, the argument is always there. Well, Home Depot could be locally owned or whatever. And well, I'll tell you what, um, that might be the case, you know, and, and they might employ a whole bunch of people from the local area. And I, and I understand that, but there will be some pain in going through the, the process of changing, going back to where we were you know, back in the forties and thirties and twenties. And well, unfortunately, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, but then again, if, if it won't happen unless we set the example. For others, and you know what? I think it can happen by saying it won't happen. Now, what the hell are we doing talking about it? Well, well, then why not just pack up so- and go home? Well, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're well. supposed to, uh, we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be telling the truth, and we're supposed to be doing it uh, for the right reasons. And as long as we continue to do that, we can uh, affect change. But don't expect we. We. I mean, it would be nice. It would be great. But I wouldn't expect to see any wins in the public arena, I wouldn't expect the enemy to uh, give an inch, no matter what is done. So the, the attacks and, and well, everything that we see... No, the enemy is not going to give. Intensify. But the enemy, in this case, we we, can, we have control... Okay, we have control over our dollars. We have control mm-hmm. over our thoughts. We have control over our words and where we, we put do. them. That's but, right. But let me tell you this, and this is not to insult anybody out there. 80% of the American people don't. They are... Well, and some they're self-subjugated, self right? Which uh, now I, I understand so that. But if we can, but if everyone can change, look, if everyone listening to this broadcast can change the heart and mind of one other person, we can double what we're doing. Think about that. You don't have to. How do you eat, eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time, as the saying goes. So, if each one of us can can change the heart, mind. Of one person, get that one person to, to uh, shop locally. Get that one that one person to change their ideology of mind on whatever subject. Educate them. Just one person. Start with one, and then have that person start. Kind of the multi-level marketing concept of, right. of growth. And one thing in doing that, you're never going to change a person's mind through argument and debate. You're going to have to find a way to lead them. So they reach their own conclusion. It's that's, a very that's right. delicate thing. I mean, we can, you can debate 
liberals twenty four seven and never change one mind. But, but you you can enter into a discussion with with an mm-hmm. with an idea in your mind, and through discussion, you you might end up in that discussion hearing the person you're you're having a conversation with saying exactly what you are going to tell them that you you wanted them to say. And the only thing you have to say is, you know what, that is such a great idea. I'm so glad you thought of that to whoever you're talking. And that's a good way to uh, increase the, the, the civility of discourse and also to take away the self-importance and make them feel like they thought of whatever you're talking about. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, that, that works wonders. Go ahead, Joe. We have our guest with us, off, uh, author of Citizens for Trump, uh, Jack Posobiec, he's been a guest several times in the past, and he joins us tonight. Jack, uh, uh, Eric, the tech tells us we don't have your video feed. I don't know if you're able to do video or not, but just wanted to bring I just, it. just got audio for the moment, guys. Okay, that's fine. Good, man. How you doing? It's good to hear I'm you. Great. You know, that, that process you were just talking about in the, uh, in the intel world, we refer to that as elicitation. I'm sure you've heard, you've used that as well in law enforcement. Exactly. Exactly. And, and thank you for, for that refinement. Uh, wow. Okay. And see, we, we can touch so many people and we can, we can, we've, we've got that ability, don't we? I mean, as, as, as conservatives, we can go out there and we can change the hearts and minds of people. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, I, I found with so many folks, you know, it's, we know the things that, that make us disagree, right? We know the things that are polarizing, but if you can start from a position of something that everyone agrees on, uh, or, at least a majority of people agree on, then you can sort of start to frame it in ways that aren't striking at the heart of the, uh, you know, the controversy or the discord, but you can actually come and have a more meaningful conversation about values and about structure. And, you know, uh, I, I think with that, when they brought that Roseanne show back, the sitcom, uh, that's very much what that show was doing. It's a, the way they portrayed it and why it did so well, 25 million uh, viewers now, was they had a family of people who, yes, yeah, some of them were conservative and some of them were liberal, and they each each side made fun of each other, but the family stayed together uh, instead of the show taking one side or the other, and that's that's been so missing from entertainment and really the country of late. Yeah, that, that was a brilliant return, and the way they did that was brilliant. I remember the the first iteration of Roseanne. When that first came out, I was kind of horrified when I was watching that for the first time. And uh, when was that? Eighty-seven, eighty-eight, I think it might have, or maybe even before that. that. But yeah. But uh, the way they rolled it out this time, I think it was a brilliant. Uh, I don't. Do, do we say marketing? Is that? I, I don't know. A positioning, at least. There you go. Uh, yeah. I liked uh, the one. The one liner that I heard from it that was probably the best is they're all sitting down to grace and Grozan. So the, the joke is that her, you know, her sister is, I guess, is a liberal. And she goes, well, we're all about to say grace. I guess you can go just take a knee or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, I want to ask the, the listeners and viewers out there, have you, have you purchased your, your book? I got to tell you, it's still relevant citizens for Trump. Uh, the, the inside story of, of how Donald Trump, uh, really, uh, the People's Movement to Take Back America by Jack Posobiec. If you have not purchased that book yet, either in paperback or Kindle, you don't know what you're missing. It's still relevant, if not more relevant today. Uh, yeah. So just go to Amazon, Jack Posobiec, Citizens 
uh, for Trump, the inside story of people's movement, take back America. You will not be sorry. I just, I love that book and I love Jack's style of writing. So. And Jack, we, we can, we, let's run through some news real quick and let's start with Laura Ingram. We've seen that this, uh, attention kid, David Hogg, I was going to say attention hog, is not going away. He has found his calling, which I suspect is what he wanted all along, was to turn his 15 minutes of fame into a, uh, a career in not journalism, but in activism reporting with a liberal agenda. And, you know, uh, he seized on his moment, uh, whatever you want to say about him. Uh, I, I obviously believe he's on the wrong side. But what, what, what's with this whole fight with Laura Ingram? And is it just uh, misperceptions? Or is Laura Ingram, was she told to back down? Was she told to apologize and take a, a week vacation? Or, or do you believe that this was something that she had planned? Um, well, I haven't heard anything uh, inside uh, Fox regarding her specific uh, schedule, but I, I am uh, pleased to hear that Jack Abernathy, the vice president over there at Fox, did just release a statement uh, just about an hour ago stating that uh, that she will be coming back after her hiatus. As A lot of people were kind of reminded that this is how uh, O'Reilly went down. People went after his advertisers. Then he took a he took a break, and over the weekend we were told that he was done at Fox, and that was that was the end of Bill, the Bill O'Reilly show that had been out that had really been one of the shows that had made Fox whatever it is today that show and Hannity and Combs, and uh, it doesn't look like they're doing that with with Laura Ingram. She will be coming back. They've now announced. Um, you know, look, Laura put up uh, a tweet. You know, she made a statement. Uh, I personally wouldn't have said that, but she said that, and then she apologized for it. But instead of moving on. This, the left now views that and, and any attempt at appeasement, right? Like this apology, they pounce, right? You give them an inch, they're going to take a mile and they're going to keep going. In fact, that's what they said yeah, uh, in regards to the bump stocks. They said, they said, you, you want to ban bump stocks? Well, we're going to take that to the next level and demand you ban all guns. So they're never going to be appeased. It's like uh, Hitler and Churchill all over again. Yeah, it's, a uh, it's very disturbing to see, uh, such influence being given to somebody who's not even old enough to vote and uh, absolutely do we have sympathy for the the people who experience a terrific terrific <laughs> a horrific school shooting and uh he, with his own admission he did not know any of the people and from what i uh, remember the facts of the case the shooting primarily happened in the freshman hall of the school but either way um this this kid has been backed by you know, the Hollywood uh, Soros type money to promote this March for Life. He's been backed by the yeah, and so anti gun media. At the, uh, the March for Our Lives there, uh, about, I guess, last weekend or two weekends ago now in DC. And, and you're absolutely right in the sense that, uh, there was a lot of money that was behind this thing, millions and millions of dollars, presidential level security. I've never seen that level of security in D.C. outside of a presidential inauguration. I've been to a lot of marches, you know, it's the Women's March, the Climate March, you know, Mar uh, Mother of All Rallies, the March for Life, you know, so on both sides, but I've never seen that level of security uh, as I saw for the, the uh, this Parkland, uh, the Parkland students. And as well, uh, you mentioned um, the level of organization. I actually ended up doing one of my live stream uh, videos went viral of uh, counting the number of buses that were that were brought in uh, uh, to put this crowd together, <laughs> and so you could see. And look, you know, I'm not saying that the people were, you know, paid or fake or anything like that. That's not not the case. But the point is, there was a huge level of organization that went into this event, and that is where I would like just to focus my inquiry 
as to who specifically was this, what were those ties, and what else, you know, had they been, uh, had they been involved in? Yeah, so what, the, uh, this, the amount of security, do you think that is because the, uh, controversy and, and the emotions, high emotions that are involved in, in this debate, uh, that they've, you know, angered so many people that they need that security, or do you think that this was, uh, just a precaution or that there are actual threats launched against these people? Um, well, there were also, so I would say that, uh, the level of security may also be because there were a number of singers, uh, who were, who were at the event. Uh, Miley Cyrus was there, Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande, who herself, uh, had, had had one of her, uh, concerts in Manchester attacked by ISIS, uh, in the past. So my guess is given the visibility of the survivors of Parkland as well as the, the, you know, really A-level celebrities that were there, that was probably the reason for so much security. Isn't that, isn't that the height of hypocrisy though? The visual, the optics? Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the question, isn't it, right? Because, you know, as a conservative looking at this, my, my angle on the whole thing is, well, aren't we talking about security, right? Securing ourselves, defending ourselves, defending schools, defending children. And here at this event, they chose to defend themselves with, with barricades, you know, like a wall or, and, uh, and armed guards, lots of armed guards patrolling as well as both police and national guard, believe it or not, were activated, uh, by DC in this case to, to provide some coverage for road closures and stuff like that. So massive levels of, of armed security for themselves. And yet they're up on stage calling to take away our, uh, our own right to armed self-defense kind of, kind of at odds with each other. Yeah. Uh, and well, as you mentioned earlier, the calls saying, you know, if they give us an inch, we're going to take a mile. If they give us bum stocks, we're going to ban the second amendment. One thing that's so, uh, it's never, never ceases to amaze me when watching the media coverage of all this stuff is the double talk that comes out of their mouth. Uh, with one side of their mouth saying that, you know, the Second Amendment never was established so people could, uh, hunt and, uh, that, you know, there, that the Second Amendment should be banned and then at the very next sentence, well, we never said the Second Amendment should be banned and we never, we don't want to infringe on the rights of, uh, law-abiding citizens. And then the funniest of all to me was, uh, that David Hogg himself, uh, after a month of, uh, the anti-Second Amendment message, he, in his bullying campaign, and name-calling campaign, he started to complain about having to use clear backpacks as a violation of his First Amendment rights. Yeah, I just I'm, thought I'm, that was I'm waiting for I'm waiting for one of uh, uh, one of these activists to say something like, "Well, we shouldn't let the actions of one person uh, change how we all react to it. Yeah. We shouldn't all suffer for the actions of one person." I said, "Yeah, that's kind of our point too." So, uh, the summary of this anti-gun movement: they've made a whole bunch of noise. They've uh, tried to, you know, get. Uh, the NRA to lose memberships, which backfired in, into an explosion of memberships. Gun sales have increased. Uh, if anything, they they have just, uh, I would say, alienated uh, much of the nation with their attacks. Do you think that this is going to go away, or are they going to continue to push this uh, and try to ride that momentum wave that they got going? Well, let me tell you what, what my take was on it, having observed the event, was that there was a huge undercurrent uh, at the event of voting. Uh, they talked so much about voting in, in specifically this election in November in 2018. They said we're going to vote people out, vote them out. That was said again and again by numerous speakers, by numerous pre-recorded videos. And there were people at the march that were registering people to vote. Uh, they were volunteers all over the place. So my guess is that they understand that there aren't 
really uh, enough voters in the U.S. that support an, an overall gun ban that they know that that's not really going to be the, the point of what they're looking for. And they certainly weren't calling for any specific legislation. Uh, they don't even have any bills introduced regarding this stuff. What, what this is really all about, their goal is November, and their goal is the House of Representatives. And I think that is what we're going to see play out is not so much uh, this push for uh, anti-gun or, or repeal of the Second Amendment. That's all noise to gin up the Democrat base for the midterm elections. Because, you know, as people know, the first um, the midterm elections of any president are usually usually the year uh, that the president's party takes a hit. Uh, just historically speaking, it happened to Bush, happened to Obama. But the Democrats really want to do everything they can to take back the House because agenda item number one for a Democrat-controlled House with Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going to be impeachment through the House Judiciary Committee. And uh, that is the end game here. Yeah, and, and they have not been uh, quiet or silence. They've been stating this since the beginning. And no, no, this isn't me talking. This has no, been quite open. Yeah. Okay, and, and to, to that end, Jack, you you, uh, you sent out a tweet today about the uh, McCabe t- uh, lying to the Inspector General about leaking to the Wall Street uh, Journal reporter page and struck text messages, exposed them. What's the uh, what's the deal there? So this this situation. With, with McCabe and the text messages that Strzok and Page uh, put together, that is going to be the thread that unravels everything. Because with those text messages, now there's there's evidence, electronic evidence, signals intelligence, if you will, at the time um, that was at odds with the original statement that McCabe had given the in, uh, internal investigators at FBI regarding the leak to the Wall Street Journal. This was just at the end of the uh, at the end of the election. I think it was last week of October 2016, and when all of those stories all of a sudden started hitting about uh, the email investigation of Hillary Server, how it was handled, and the fact that McCabe had taken uh, half a million dollars from Terry McAuliffe himself, a a very close Clinton ally, and so McCabe apparently originally stated, oh no, I didn't I didn't leak anything, no leaks were authorized whatsoever. Now here comes Struck and Page and they've got all these text messages basically saying that Andy told us to leak, or I remember the plan, the insurance policy uh, that was started to put that started to put forward. They even have the reporter's name in the text messages. So following this, now as the timeline goes, uh then McCabe goes back to the internal investigators and ends up having to get uh Investigator interviewed again by the inspector general who's opened up uh, a case at this point to say, well, wait a minute, you said you didn't authorize the leak. They said you did authorize it, and here are their text messages all about it. What do you have to say? And he came back and said, well, you, uh, you may have misunderstood what I meant in my original interview, and right there is the gotcha moment. Right there is the moment where mm, that sounds like a heck of a lot more than they than they went after General Flynn for. Exactly, and and I, and I love your your uh, tweet. In fact, folks, follow Jack Pasovic on Twitter. If you if you're listening to this broadcast or reviewing it, uh, follow him. Uh, McCabe is done. Can't spend GoFundMe in Terre Haute, and I've been I've been to a federal prison. I got to tell you, that's uh, in my view, that's where they belong. It, by the way, um, Huber, you know, people don't really understand. I, I think what's going on with Huber working with Horowitz to expand the Horowitz cannot prosecute, but Huber can. And he's been working, according to Sessions, alongside of Horowitz for, for some time. 
And I think yeah, that, that's something that people haven't quite understood as well. From what I'm hearing is that uh, his his cooperation with Horowitz may go all the way back to uh, almost the start of the administration. Uh, this is not something new. This has most likely been going on since sometime in 2017, sometime last year. Yeah, and I think I think that a lot of people, because they're not seeing a secondary special counsel being established, I think a lot of people are dismissing the effectiveness of this IG and um, uh, federal prosecutor investigation. So, do you think do you think we're going to see some indictments here, especially McCabe? I think it's highly possible. Um, <laughs> and as does McCabe, and that's why he's raising so much money right now. Uh, you've got to hand it to him. He's raised uh, over a half million dollars as well. It was certainly not the first time he's taken a half million from liberals. Um, but at this point, it does look at the, as though his statements are not only at odds with what Strzok and Page have put forward in these text messages, but also at odds with James Comey, who, who has stated that he did not authorize, uh, any type of leak. Um, where now McCabe is, is going after Comey and saying, we've got emails between himself and Comey that say Comey did authorize a leak. So we might even be a situation here, here, and this is as, as strange as it sounds, where McCabe might end up rolling on Comey. It wouldn't that be so? I mean, I, I, I'd buy tickets to that. Oh yeah. Get the popcorn. Uh, oh, so, I just, yeah, I'm just yeah. sitting back watching the popcorn now. This right. is great. Uh, so what, what's with the GoFundMe page? The, Andy McCabe started a GoFundMe page. Last I knew it raised almost $200,000. Oh man, we're at, we're at the end. Um, can can we not do this? Okay, <laughs> we we're, we're, this? we're okay. Uh, Jack, we're going to extend extend you out through the remainder of the break and so next year about three minutes. So yeah, because um, we don't want to dismiss you like that. Uh, uh, go ahead, Joe. You were asking yeah, the, about the, the GoFundMe, GoFundMe page. Uh, I find this amazing that after Andrew McCabe was fired, but what the left called uh, you know basically President Trump. Uh, continuing to obstruct justice, which he didn't even have the decision or make the decision. Uh, so many people are lined up to give him a job, and then we saw this GoFundMe page start because his pension was taken away, and uh, people donated almost two hundred thousand dollars, or the goal was one hundred fifty thousand. He raised it after reaching that goal. Is he going to be able to spend that money? I mean, really? Is that uh, legal, well, ethical? Is it is it legal? Yes. Is it ethical? Probably not. Because we have no idea who is donating this money. We have no idea where, it, where the overall source of it is. This, there are no, uh, restrictions on this if there, as there would with any kind of FEC, you know, political donation. Uh, this is completely outside the bounds of really anything that we've seen before in terms of federal law enforcement. And he's, he's essentially, uh, sticking his arm, you know, his, his hat out and begging for, uh, begging for dollars. And he's raised, I believe, uh, last time I checked, it's it's over five hundred thousand now wow. that Jeez. he's raised. He's actually said he's going to shut it down because uh, I think he realizes that it it may actually be a bit of a mistake because people are starting to turn around and say, "Well, Andy, why why do you need so much money for legal defense if you didn't do anything wrong?" Well, yeah, crazy stuff. Well, well Jack, again, we, we we just blew through the break. We did not want to you know leave you with uh, at that point. Um, anything that you want to yeah, promote? We didn't get into? Uh, yeah. The one piece that I am looking at now, uh, there, there are some news reports circulating about Assange and Roger Stone. Um, you know, I can say as someone who knew Roger in 2016 that he certainly didn't go over and meet Assange. But what I am hearing uh, in D.C. very much so is that Mueller uh, is looking at an indictment of Julian Assange potentially as a foreign agent. 
um, this would be uh, a high bar uh, for him to to meet if he were to do this because he would have to essentially not only prove uh, how the DNC emails were hacked, he would have to prove that they were then knowingly given to Assange through uh, some mechanism by Russian intelligence and then that Assange knowingly released them in order to damage the Clinton campaign. This would all have to be proved by Mueller uh, in order to prove that that Assange was some sort of foreign agent uh, as opposed to a journalist or, or a, you know, sort of transparency blogger uh, as, as he claims. So the bar is very high. And we know that Pompeo has come out in the past uh, in his prior role as CIA director and stated that the First Amendment shouldn't apply to Assange as he's not a U.S. citizen. Hey, yeah. have you, have you t- Jack, have you talked to Roger Stone at all? I don't know if you've got a relationship with him or if you've spoken with him uh, about this issue. Uh, well, I worked very closely with Roger on the campaign in 2016. Um, well, we worked on, on Citizens for Trump and had a number of other operations together. So, uh, you know, we, we certainly discussed WikiLeaks at great length. We discussed what was coming out. But in terms of actual communication with Assange, there was zero. Okay, yeah. And, and that's, I guess that, that was, that's where I was going. Um, just in closing, it, it just seems like Mueller's just going off the rails and yeah. using the, 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 you know, multi-hop approach uh, on this and on this and everything else, and just sideways. And I believe he's not going to have to uh, provide or prove the evidence. He's going to have to. Uh, all they're going to have to do is create it, because from what we understand, there was never any real uh, investigation into uh, what was that the cause of that breach of data. Was it hacked or was it, uh, you know, share? Was it downloaded and shared? But either way, it is. Uh, Robert Mueller's been spinning his wheels, and he's been looking for a way to bury Trump, and they'll take it any way that they can get it. Jack Posobiec, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight and staying for the extra few minutes. CitizensForTrump.com. Follow Jack Posobiec at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. And, and get his book, folks. Absolutely. Seriously, man. The, the book's still goes strong. And just to add real quick, guys, because yeah. uh, I don't know if it's it's been out there so much, but you can catch now uh, some of my reporting uh, is going up on the OAN, uh, on the cable station, so One America News. You can catch me there. As a matter of fact, one report there from uh, March 15th was just fantastic where um, you're not uh, letting you're not letting go on the uh, Seth Rich situation, that murder of Seth Rich. Uh, no, we are going to keep covering it until the, the, the issue is solved. This is exactly what we need. This is the kind of journalism that we need. Jack Posobiec, you are a stellar man. Thank you so very much for everything you do. Um, anything we can do for you in turn, let us know. We will. And uh, thanks again for your gift of time tonight. Our best thanks, guys. Have a great night. All right, brother. Thank you too. Thanks. All right. Uh, you, you know, Jack Posobiec is such a gracious man and very humble. But, but man, he, he he knows things. Yeah. Some he, deep things. And, and don't He's got I, great I, insight, and uh, he's usually right on the money. Before the show, what did I say to you guys in the studio about what, what he, he thought? He said about. a lot of things. Which, which time? Mueller and Stone. <laughs> kidding. Okay, I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, we are being set up. The, the concert. Donald Trump was set up. Look you. at it this way. He was cons- set up. He was yes, set yes. Up. He was set up, and it, and it went well beyond that. It was an attempted coup. Yes, that's still ongoing. Yes, and it is. Uh, and the evidence of the other side, all the way from exonerating their candidate through corruption at the FBI to setting up, uh, you know, the, these bogus investigations for the purpose of 
of muddying the waters of the legitimacy of the Trump presidency, they've all backfired in their face, yet nobody's went to jail. The only thing that's happened is James Comey and Andrew McCabe have been fired. But, but again, uh, I, I know no one's gone to jail with, with Mueller, but, but <clears throat> just understand this, because we have been, and the story's not about us, but we've been accused of, me, I've been accused of being a Russian agent. Oh, yeah. Le- uh, in legal documents. Now, okay, j- just hang on. So, that accusation, now think about that for a second. And what, what, what do we do? We, I've, I've spoken to Roger Stone. Roger Stone is, is a, uh, uh, a focal point of Mueller. So my communications with Roger Stone, for example, and everyone I've communicated with now open for scrutiny and they don't have to win. All they have to do is drag you in, make you spend the money to defend yourself. And it's really not, on their side, it's an act of desperation. And I say that not as, you know, poor us, but study the tactics because there are no rules. This is a street fight and everything goes. That's just what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. go on. Because I know you had something that you wanted to well, add. To we that. have, we have our guest with us, uh, Michael Snyder. He's running for Congress in the first district of Idaho. And uh, we've had him on The Daily Show a number of times. He's been on Hagman Report uh, a number of times. He's an author. Uh, he's got a great website, Economic Collapse Blog. We post, try to post stories to it uh, as often as possible. I know I have not done so in a few weeks, but it is a great place to go for information. And uh, you, you talk about having a, a hope for a true Christian conservative candidate uh, making his way into Congress from the first district of Idaho. It, it, and Michael if, Snyder is yeah, the man. If, if I may just welcome Congressman Michael Snyder to the program. How's that for? It's great to be with you guys. Can you hear me okay? We, oh, yeah. We, we can, and we can see you very well. And, and I'll tell you something. I, I like the sound of that. Congressman Michael Snyder. I, I, we can change the world, brother. I mean, you, you can do it. You can do well, it. Well, we need to. We need to, guys, because... As I've been traveling all over the district here, and my district covers approximately half the state of Idaho. So if you're listening to this program today from Idaho, you're probably in my district because the other district's not quite as conservative. But as I've been traveling all around the district, I've been asking people, what do you think would have happened if Hillary Clinton would have won the 2016 election? And almost always I get the same type of answer. They say, well, Michael, uh, it would have been over. We would have been finished. And what they mean by that is not necessarily that the United States of America would have ceased to exist in some form under after eight years of Hillary Clinton. But what they mean is this. What they mean is that we would have lost this. This is a copy of the U.S. Constitution. And what people mean is that this was hanging by a thread leading into 2016. And if Hillary Clinton would have won we probably may have never had another chance to get this back. But now, by a miracle, Donald Trump has won. Does that mean America has been saved? No. But what it means is we might have an opportunity to try to save America. So that's what I'm trying to do with this campaign. That's what good people are doing all over the country. We know we have a very limited window of opportunity with Donald Trump, the great disruptor in the White House, and we're trying to do what we can to take our government back. Uh, yes, we do. And uh, this is why I love your platform. And, uh, folks, if you have not been to uh, the website for the campaign, Michael, 
let me make sure I get this right. Michael Snyder for Idaho.com. And, uh, this is in the show description on Hagman Report. I want you to bookmark this site because it lays out, uh, very well the campaign platform for which, uh, Mr. Snyder is running on. And I would, uh, dare say that I don't think you'll find one thing on there that you disagree with. From- the primary, I'm sorry, is May 15th, Joe, right? Is yeah, that- it's coming up. Uh, Mike, Mike, when is the primary? The primary is May 15th, that's correct. But, but people need to know that early voting begins later this month. So either April 23rd or April 30th, depending on the county, because each county is different for early voting. But literally in just a few weeks, voting is going to begin. So I don't want people to wait till May 15th. If you're, if you live in Idaho and you're listening to this show today, go out and vote as soon as you can, whether it's April 23rd, April 30th. That's when early voting begins in the different counties. We want people to vote early uh, so they don't get to May 15th and then forget. Yeah, and you told me that a big percentage of the votes in that district do come from early voting. So that absolutely is so important. And I want to ask you this because, folks, we had Michael on our daily show uh, just not, not too long ago. So I'm going to ask you some questions I just asked you the other day. Debates. Do you have any upcoming debates with your uh, primary opponents? We do, we do. We just had one on uh, March 27th down in Ada County in the Boise area. Very successful. We did very well there. Um, our next big one is April 14th. It's being uh, sponsored by KBOI, one, one of the, the big talk radio stations down here. It's going to be on television, too. So tune in, whether by radio, by television, or be there in person down in the Boise area. April 14th, the big KBOI debate. Uh, the five major candidates are going to be there, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a big turning point for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I said this uh, to you before, but out of uh, all the congressional candidates that we have had on the show, I believe uh, Michael Snyder has one of the best, if not the best, chances of winning the seat that he is running for. And you've been able to uh, have a significant impact in your district, Michael, and uh, some of the other candidates we've brought on, you know, like somebody who's running against Maxine Waters, where the voting historically has been, you know, 75 to 80% Democrat versus Republican. And you look at those races and you wish those people uh, could win, but you actually uh, are much more represented in the area that you live in. And uh, you are one, the, the most conservative candidate in the race that you're running for and uh, really living as a Christian, too, openly. I, I, yeah, and I've got a question for uh, Congressman Snyder. And I say that because I believe it, as you said, Joe, he can win. Um, Congressman, or, sorry, uh, Mr. Snyder, uh, what is, what's the one thing that maybe surprised you to date? to the present time as you go out campaigning is there anything or any one special thing that that kind of just made you or just surprised you either good bad or or whatever uh, as you talk to people yeah uh, I guess one of the things that really surprised me is that how easy it is to get in there and make a difference I mean because most people here running for office that sounds intimidating to a lot of people but once you get into it, you know, we, we, we just started out with a very small team, but we worked incredibly hard. Now we've got a, a, a team of people all from, from the top of the state to the bottom of the state, incredible team of people. But if you just get out there, you start early, you work hard, you know, you can make a real difference. We are now one of the front runners. I mean, literally, we are less than 45 days away to May 15th, 
And we don't know who's going to win this race. There's three front runners. Our name recognition is now running neck and neck with the two other front runners. And so it's a dead heat. And literally, it's going to be decided in the next 40 days. So that surprised me in which when we got in this race, we weren't supposed to win. You know, as a political outsider, you know, most of the experts thought one of the other, you know, more seasoned politicians would win. But if you just get in and work hard, you can make a difference. The other thing that really surprises me is there's so many people out there with a passion for the Constitution. Everywhere I go, people are talking about they just want to get back to the Constitution because people hate Congress. In fact, we just held a meeting up here in North Idaho just the other night. And in fact, wherever I go in the district, I'll ask the crowds I'm talking to, I'll say, if you approve of the job that Congress is doing, raise your hand. And you know what? Usually not a single person raises their hand. But I'm talking to Republican audiences, and we've got Republicans in control of Congress, but people hate Congress. In fact, nationally, Congress only has a 15% approval rating because people know Congress is super corrupt. It's all about the money. It's not responsive to the American people. And they're sick and tired of it. So the goal is not to go and be a cog in the system, be part of the current corrupt system, try to climb the ladder, and try to get enough influence to someday maybe make a few small changes. But I'm going to Congress to turn the system completely upside down and to restore this, to restore our constitutional republic, because our founding fathers created the greatest system of government on the entire planet. But today, what we have doesn't look anything like this, and that's why people hate it. People hate our government today, but that's not how it should be. People should love our government if it was functioning the way that it should be. Yeah, and, you know, it's going to take hundreds of people with that same mindset, but we have to start somewhere. And, you know, this is an uphill battle that I don't think we're – I hope we can overcome it, but it just seems so insurmountable at this time. And as you mentioned, we have we have President Trump. He's only one man. We cannot rely on him to – nor should we expect him to be able to fix so many of the problems that we see in Washington, D.C. today from – uh, you know, let, let, let's look at the spending bill that was just passed, the $1.3 trillion plus dollar spending bill that even though the president said, hey, uh, this is not something we should be doing, I'll never do this again, he signed it instead of vetoing it, putting our country another trillion dollars in debt, and I'm sure, uh, you know, wasting hundreds of billions of dollars unnecessarily to get this bill pushed through. Uh, what do we have to do? And is there anything that can be done? To restore, to, to, to start paying down the debt. We're, we're 20, 21 trillion dollars in debt on the books. They say unfunded liabilities runs, uh, you know, 10 times, maybe possibly more than that. Uh, can we turn this around? Do we have to adopt a new money system? What would your plans be, uh, in order to fix the American economy? Yeah, well, that's a, a complex question. Let's talk about the spending bill first, which is $1.3 trillion. It was 2,232 pages long, and members of Congress were only given less than 24 hours to read the whole thing. Of course, it fully funded Planned Parenthood and a whole bunch of other liberal priorities, but other than a bump in military spending, conservative priorities were almost totally ignored. Um, and you know who came up with the bill, whose bill it was? It was Paul Ryan's. It was Paul Ryan's bill, the Republican Speaker of the House. This was his baby, and he pushed it through, 
And, you know, then they put pressure on President Trump to sign it. And, of course, President Trump's saying he'll never sign another bill like it. But, you know, where we need to make the changes, we've got to get the rhinos out of Washington. Rhino, of course, being Republican in name only. And so I'm the only candidate in my race that has taken a pledge that I'll never vote for Paul Ryan for Speaker of the House. He's got to go. We've got to change that leadership. Of course, Mitch McConnell has got to go, John McCain, all the rest of the rhinos. But we need people with the courage to go to Washington and stand up the leadership of both parties because it's not just the Democratic Party that's the problem. We've got to be honest about that. The Republican yeah. Party is a massive part of the problem, too. And we've got to change the leadership. Yeah, you know, one of the things that when we talk about the, the uh, problems between the left and the right, we're so quick to blame Democrats, and rightfully so, especially with the extreme uh, anti-American, anti-constitutional ideology that they have been promoting. But what's worse than that? I mean, at least these people, the left, say what their goals are. They come out right out and tell you that they want to destroy your faith, that they want to destroy your belief system, that they want to destroy the Constitution. But what I think is worse is the people who uh, wrap themselves in in the banner of uh, the flag and in the Constitution and, and do so for the convenience uh, of, of not having to go through the public scrutiny, but behind the backs of everybody else, they are working the same agenda as the other people, only you know labeling themselves as, as attempting to be one of uh, the, the good guys, if you will. And that is more dangerous than these other people coming out and at least being honest with, with what they want. And what we have seen under the uh, Obama administration, with, and the example I love to use is, you know, the last two years, 2014 to 2016 of the Obama administration, Congress passed over 70 different repeals of Obamacare. Now that we have, we have the Republican majority in the Congress, the Senate, and in the White House, they can't get anything done. And that shouldn't tell everybody exactly uh, the truth of what Congress's function really is. And it is not to uh, make the government more efficient. And it is not to save the taxpayers' money. It is not to protect the laws of this land. It seems to be the complete opposite of that. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And the approval rating of Congress has been, for the last 10 years, less than 10%. That should tell us all we need to know. But what would you do, Michael, in, if you, when you get into Congress? What would you do uh, as far as reaching out to other congressmen to get them on board? Uh, or would you jump on board somebody else's movement, like the Freedom Caucus? Or uh, how would you fit into Congress and try to work with these people? Yeah. Well, of course, a lot of my natural allies are going to be in the Freedom Caucus. The current member of Congress from this district, Raul Labrador, actually helped start the Freedom Caucus, and now he's moving on to run for governor. That's why the seat is open and there's no incumbent. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be allied with the members of the Freedom Caucus, senators like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, uh, ally with them, try to fight some of these battles. But, of course, then most of all, I'm going there to be part of the Trump movement because the American people elected Trump to do some of these things. They elected him to repeal Obamacare, but Obamacare is still not repealed. They elected him to build the wall. The wall is still not being built, or at least not very much of it. Um, so the, the, the agenda that electrified the American people, that the American people put Donald Trump in the White House to accomplish, I'm going there to accomplish that uh, agenda. You may have noticed on my sign it says, vote pro-Trump right at the top, and we take that very seriously. It's not enough just to vote for someone that's 
has a Republican next to their name anymore, because honestly, a lot of them are progressives. Paul Ryan is a progressive. Mitch McConnell is a progressive. We need people that are true constitutionalists that want to get back to this. And that includes, you know, getting back to the national debt earlier. We need to get that under control because we're $21 trillion in debt now. And that not only means spending less money, but that also means ending the debt creation machine called the Federal Reserve, which is actually designed to create government debt. Whenever money is created, new money is created, it actually creates more government debt. And it's an endless debt spiral from which we will never be able to escape until we shut it down. But, you know, most Republicans aren't even talking about it, including all the other people in my race. So, so many of these things that we've been fighting for so long, and earlier in the program, you guys were saying, well, what can we do? Well, I would submit we need a second American revolution, not a revolution of bullets and guns, but a revolution of values and principles and ideas. And how we're going to win that revolution is at the ballot box. And Donald Trump, by winning the presidency, he showed us that anything is possible. If Donald Trump can become president of the United States, Michael Snyder can become the next member of Congress from Idaho's 1st Congressional District. And actually, we're in a dead heat right now, and we're just a little over 40 days away. So we can win this thing if everyone out there gets behind us. Yeah, and I absolutely agree that you can. Let me ask you this. How do you, you mentioned earlier that now your name recognition is just right at the top with the other candidates. How do you, what's the best way for you to get the name recognition out there and get the voters to choose you? Is it TV ads? Is it door-to-door? What have you found to be the most effective method in making people activate and want to get out and say that they're going to support you? Yeah, that's interesting, and this might be informative for other people thinking of running. A lot of people think, well, you've got to have TV ads. We haven't run a single TV ad, and actually the Republican National Committee, they really moved away from television advertising just because it's so inefficient. But one of the big things is just old-fashioned political signs. In fact, we put up more political signs across the district than all the other campaigns combined, the people that I'm running against, and that's huge. And then people see our sign and see vote pro-Trump, they know immediately where we stand. That's been a big thing. Also, social media. We've hit Facebook. We've hit other forms of social media extremely hard, and that's been extremely effective for us. And then also contacting people through email, mailers, and then going door-to-door. We've got teams out right now as this program is going on, knocking on people's doors, going door-to-door all over the district, dropping off our literature, talking to people, also very effective. And that's one of the most effective things for actually getting out the vote. And then, of course, we've been doing live events all over the state, putting thousands of miles on the vehicles. And we've been in a plane back and forth to South Idaho more times than I can count. But then when we do those events, we also live stream them, put them up on our Facebook page so that it multiplies the impact of what we're doing. So we've worked harder than all the other campaigns. The political people down in Boise actually tell us we've run the best campaign, and that's why we put ourselves in a position to be one of the front runners. I will say that I did watch the live GOP debate that you've got linked off of Economic Collapse blog to the Facebook, your Facebook page, Michael Snyder for Congress. You done good. I mean, that was a great, hard-hitting, informative display of your political prowess. 
How did you feel about that debate? Well, thank you. Uh, we enjoyed it. Of course, you can't say that much in a couple minutes. But what we're finding is when we do one of our live events around the state, and we're about to go on a huge tour again over a couple-week period, like two or three events a day, and we sit down in front of people and we share with them what we want to do, how we want to abolish the Federal Reserve, we want to abolish the income tax, we're 100% pro-life, we want to defund Planned Parenthood, and all the things we want to do, and how we want to restore the Constitution. We talk about all those things. And when we get done, usually in, say, a room of 50 people, 100 people, we find that over 90% of people become our voters because people are so hungry for real conservatives with a backbone to go to D.C. because these guys who we've sent before, it seems like when they get to D.C., they've had their backbone surgically removed. People want someone like Trump, who's a fighter, who's actually going to stand up for them and fight for the things they wanted conservatives to fight for for 30 years, but it hasn't been happening. Let me ask you this, Michael. As you said, and I agree with this, that there are well-intended individuals that get into Congress, and then something seems to change where they lost their fire or they became compromised in some way. Do you think that's corruption? Do you think that's intimidation? Why do you think that is? Well, I think a couple things. One is intimidation. The other is the lure of wealth, money, fame, and power. Because, you know, a lot of people go to Washington for the wrong reason, and they don't have the foundation of being a Bible-believing Christian, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They're doing it to get famous, to be well-known, whatever it is. So a lot of them are going for the wrong reason. So we need to send a different kind of person to Washington. But let me tell you what happens when people go to Washington. In fact, whoever wins this race, if I win, I'm going to go to orientation, and they'll sit me down and they'll tell me how I'm supposed to spend my time as a new member of Congress. And one of the first things they'll tell me is this. And what I'm about to tell you sounds crazy, I know, but it's been documented by 60 Minutes, by Congressman Ken Buck in his new book, by other mainstream media news programs. So everything I'm about to tell you is 100% true, documented by the mainstream media. But when a new member of Congress, they go to orientation, they sit there and they're told how they're supposed to spend their time. And the first thing they're told is that they're expected to raise $200,000 for the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, which is an enormous amount of money. And so as a new member of Congress, how are you going to raise that kind of money? And I should tell you, that's just the base level. Someday if you want to serve on an A-level committee, one of the committees that people like to be on, that's going to cost you $400,000 a year. If you want to be the chairman of a B-level committee, that's going to cost you $800,000 a year. And someday if you want to be the chairman of an A-level committee, that's going to cost you $1.2 million a year that you have to raise for the National Republican Congressional Committee. So essentially, committee chairs are on sale on Capitol Hill today. And that should greatly offend you, and it greatly offends me. So how are you supposed to raise all that money? Well, orientation, you're also told how you're supposed to spend your time. So you're told you're supposed to spend about two hours a day on floor slash committee, essentially doing your job that you're elected to do, and you're supposed to spend four hours a day on the telephone dialing for dollars, raising money. And since members of Congress can't actually do this by law from their offices, 
they have to go across the street to two call centers. There's one for Democrats, one for Republicans, big call centers, and 60 Minutes actually got a camera into one. And they're very bleak, very depressing. And you go and you sit there at your little cubicle, at your little space, and you're given a script. And you're told to call, you know, the voters, and you're given information about such and such is married to, you know, Sheila, and they have kids, and these are their interests. And the whole goal is to get as much money out of that person as quickly as you can, and then move on to the next caller. And our members of Congress are spending hour after hour, day after day, week after week, year after year doing this instead of doing the job they were elected to do. And that's why I've made a pledge that when I go to Washington, I'm not going to participate in that system. I'm not going to make those phone calls. Instead, I'm going to go to Washington to do the job the people of Idaho sent me there to do. Okay, what you just described, and I hope everyone heard that and paid attention to what you just said, because that is offensive by its very nature. So I I was aware of the orientation. I, I, I know about that. But to that level of micromanagement. So ultimately what you just said was if you want a position on a committee, they're all for sale. It's all dependent about how much money you were able to raise for the Republican Party. And that would go for the Democrat as well, right? That's... Oh, oh yeah. The, for the Democrats, it's the exact same thing. Okay. In fact, Senator Al Franken has talked about these phone calls in his book. Um, and so, yeah, because there's a race, both parties are in a race to raise as much money as possible to, uh, you know, and, and then it, these giant PACs dole out money. And this is one of the reasons why Paul Ryan can stay in power is because then his PAC uh, that is controlled by establishment Republicans fund uh, uh, their favorite candidates all over the country. In fact, one of my opponents is getting a lot of money from these Washington, D.C. PACs who are, you know, trying to promote establishment people. Um, so they perpetuate themselves. This is how the establishment remains in control. But it's deeply offensive how the system works today. And this is why they can't get anything done. You know, they're always saying, we, we don't have enough time. Well, Congress is only in session about 140 days out of the year. Then they're spending half the time on the telephone, so they can't get anything done. That's why they have to rush and put everything in a big omnibus bill right before the deadline and say, oh, we've got to hurry up and pass it. We don't have any more time because they've been on the phone the whole time trying to raise money. Okay. You know, it, all of this makes sense now. As you just laid this out and how, how the, the, the machine works, Talk this is priority. why the swamp is so fetid in D.C., Oh, my goodness. So you're not going to participate in that. You're going to go to do your job. And, and I love it because you've already caught the attention of the, uh, of the punks in my view. That's my word of the right wing watch people and, you know, the, um, calling you such pejoratives as, you know, a believer, a true believer, me, in reference to your faith, anti-vaccination, anti-fluoride. How could you be? Uh, it's just amazing. So you're going to buck the system truly buck the system. And I guess that was a statement, not a question. So I would urge everyone in your congressional district, hey, we'll bust people in, vote for you. What the heck? Why not? The Democrats do it. But if you live in the first congressional district, you better vote for Michael Snyder because you just heard what he said. And we can make change this way. We can make change this way. And then we'll be able to buy Michael Snyder off. I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. But, man, that's 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 amazing. Yeah, and uh, what really needs to be done is, as we've said so many times, the importance of local elections 
and uh, these these other elections, we we see the American people uh, tend to place the the most the presidency as the most important election. When yes, the the president can affect a lot of change, but even more so if you want it to be a lasting change and a real change, you have to do do this at a local, then state, then federal level, and that's how things really change. And, and one it's one person at a time. But uh, Michael, let me ask you this: the political and, and spiritual divide that we have in this country is so great people really uh, can't even have a dialogue with each other without you know, freaking out based on what the other side believes and while you do have one side promoting immorality and abortion and perversion and, and corruption uh, and then you have the the other side uh, saying you know we want things restored we want you know, laws enforced on and on and on uh, how is it that we expect to get anything done when we have such a great divide that it doesn't seem like there is a compromise, nor do I think there should be, between these two sides. And one is going to have to win out in the end. How do you see this playing out? Oh, you're right. We're actually right now in a civil war. It's a cold civil war. We're not firing bullets at one another, but we're literally in a battle for the soul of our nation. And it's not just a political battle. It's not just Republican versus Democrat. But literally, it's a spiritual battle where one side wants to take us down the road to socialism, atheism, toward all the things that the radical left wants. And and they've been getting the better end of the battle now for several decades, and that's why our constitutional republic's hanging by a thread, because they've taken us so far down that road uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, can we ever get this back? But if they win America as we know it, the America of our founding fathers, the America that we love will be over, and it won't be there for our children and our grandchildren. But then us, who want to take America back to the values and principles we are founded upon, upon the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. And, of course, these documents were birthed out of a culture of Bible-believing Christians. And so taking us back, you know, we need to get back, turn this nation back to God, back to Christian values, and take us the other direction. And like you said, one way or the other is eventually going to win. And a lot of people out there are saying, well, Michael, America's too far gone. The establishment is too powerful. They've got too much money. It's, it's America, our government's too corrupt and too powerful. You, you can't do it. You can't take them on. You can't win. Well, what I would say to them is this. Our founding fathers defied the mighty British Empire, the most powerful empire on the entire planet at that time. It was just a ragtag group of rebels. A lot of them were just in their 20s or 30s, younger than us. But they stood up and said, we're going to stand up to the British Empire. We're going to declare independence. And, of course, they didn't get it overnight. They had to fight for it. It took many years. But they put everything on the line, their homes, their families, their businesses, their future, everything. And if they would have been if failed, if they would have been caught, they would have been all been hanged by the British. But because they were willing to put everything on the line, the United States of America exists today. Now it's our turn. And I don't know if we're going to be successful. I don't know if we can get this back. I don't know if we're going to succeed. But if the left is going to destroy America, they're going to have to come over my dead body to do it. I choose to fight. I choose to fight for America. I choose to try to do something. I would encourage everyone listening out there. I don't, we, I don't know if we're going to win, but help us. Help us try to take our country back because what is the alternative? Letting the left win. No future for our children and our grandchildren. We've got to do something, and this is our window of opportunity to do it. Yes, it is. 
And uh, let me ask you just a few questions on a number of issues. Uh, abortion. Obviously, you're anti-abortion in, in your Christian belief, too. How and what can you do for your state, if elected Congress, to uh, move this in the right direction? Yeah, well, I, I look forward to the day when abortion is completely ended in all 50 states. But what frustrates me is you got all these Republicans in Washington that say they're pro-life, but then just fully funded Planned Parenthood in that $1.3 trillion mm-hmm. budget bill. That's why I'm taking this pledge. I will never, ever, ever vote for any bill that has any funding for Planned Parenthood, even if it's a single penny, it's an automatic no vote for me. And if we could just get every member of the House of Representatives to take that pledge, Planned Parenthood would be defunded automatically. So I would, and you know what, and this is one of the reasons why I'm voting to, uh, against Paul Ryan for Speaker of the House, because he's betrayed us, he says he's pro-life, we need a Speaker of the House that feels the same way, that will never bring forth any bill that has funding for Planned Parenthood. Okay. Well, uh, a change of pace here. Let me ask you this. What are We, we know all about all these national issues uh, that are ongoing. What are some of the things that you would be doing uh, for your district that would uh, that, that are different from your opponents? Yeah, one of the things, big things here in Idaho is that the federal government controls more than 60% of our land. And, uh, and, and that makes it very difficult on us because here in this state, we have tremendous wealth under our feet. We've got, they call us the gem state for a reason. We've got oil. We've got natural gas. We've got uh, rare earth elements like crazy. We should be one of the global centers for rare earth elements. Uh, and if we could just have access to wealth under our feet, we would be one of the wealthiest states in the entire country. Our budget problems would be gone permanently. So as a member of Congress, I'm going to fight as hard as I can to get control of our land from the federal government because there's nothing in here, the Constitution, that says the federal government should be in control of more than 60% of the land of our state. And so that's something I'm going to fight very hard to do. Well, excellent. And, uh, you know, this is why it's so important that we help get Michael Snyder elected and why we need people like him uh, to be elected to Congress, to be able to carry out and, and be strong in the face of, of the opposition and, and to bring that change. Michael, when we're talking about help, how can people help you, both in your district and outside your district? Yeah, everybody listening today could help because donations have been coming in from all across the country. And if you go to michaelsnyderforcongress.com and you click on the contribution link um, uh, or michaelsnyderforidaho.com and, and do the same thing, you can donate. You can get involved that way. Also, we need people all over the country who are willing to volunteer. So if you want to go volunteer, go to one of our sites, click on volunteer, and because we need people to make phone calls from all over the country, you can help us make phone calls. Now, if you live in the district, we need a huge amount of help, particularly from April 23rd to May 15th, all throughout the early voting period, to help get out the vote. So if you're thinking of getting involved before but then pull the trigger, We've got an army of volunteers, but we need even more manpower uh, to help get people to the polls, to get them voting, to, to get them aware of what we're trying to do. Because um, if we have the best get-out-the-vote effort, we're going to win. So we need your help. So go to michaelsnyderforcongress.com or michaelsnyderforidaho.com, volunteer, donate, get involved. We need your help. All right. I just want to drive that point home because I don't care if you're if you're listening to this in Florida. New York, wherever you're listening to this, you can help Michael Snyder get elected. And he's got the, really the, in my view, one of the best, in our view, one of the best chances to succeed. And, and once, once he's in Congress, we can, 
we can change things. He can change things. He's speaking for all of us, by the way, because what we, what you believe generally is what he believes and will do. So just to drive this point home, no matter where, where you're at in this country, you can volunteer Michael Snyder for Congress, Michael Snyder for Idaho.com, both websites. Um, and, and just, and just click on the volunteer tab. Correct? That's, I said that correctly, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And people need to understand every, all over the nation, people need to go vote in these primaries. For example, in our election, it's being projected that the turnout will be about 20% of all Republican voters. So four out of five Republican voters are going to be staying home. Now, if, if through our get out the vote efforts are, are, is particularly in early voting, if we can raise that number by just 2%, say instead of a 20% turnout, we can just lift that up to 22% turnout, uh, and we, and those are our voters for us, we'll win, because no one is going to be able to touch us in that case. I mean, that's how much a small difference can, can make. Um, and in our district, if we win this primary on May 15th, because we're so Republican and a conservative district here, one of the safest in the country for Republicans, We'll win the general election in the fall, and then we'll be able to stay there for a long time doing a whole bunch of good, you know, like a Ron Paul who is there, you know, term after term, you know, trying to make fundamental change in our government. Uh, so if people want to see people in Congress like me taking our government back, well, the big war is May 15th, and all over the country we got to get engaged in these primaries because you can make such a huge difference because four out of five Republican voters are staying home. Man, the, 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 those are staggering. That's a staggering number. Uh, last question from me on this case. Because I, you got to be tired, brother. I, I, this is going to be this is going to be taking a, a toll on you. But uh, but you know, I, I'm sure that you find strength through, through your faith and, of course, through others. Uh, behind every every uh, man, I, I believe every successful man, there's a strong woman. How, how's your wife and family? Are, are they very supportive? I, I take it right. Oh, yeah, my wife Miranda is super supportive, and a lot of people know her. She's very active on Facebook. But um, my wife, she didn't fully understand the, 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 the physical, mental, emotional, uh, even financial toll that it would take running for office because it's a great sacrifice, and, and people do need to understand that. Um, and uh, so, uh, but you know what? She's super supportive. She's involved in the campaign. But the thing about, and you can see her on the screen there, and we've got a little three-year-old named Atara, so she's watching her. But now my wife is pregnant again, and she's actually due in a July, which would be right in the middle of the general election. So when God puts a lot on your plate, he puts a lot on your plate. Um, so everyone out there, keep us in prayer. Even if you can't donate, keep us in prayer, because we need prayer more than anything. Because uh, if I look exhausted, that's because I am. It's been a grueling process, but also an exhilarating process. Um, but we're close to the finish line now, and if we win on May 15th, the general election will actually be easier um, uh, than this because uh, uh, this is, this, like I said, this is the main war. There's two other guys who are kind of really, really bad guys, particularly one of them. Um, and, in fact, if the, if the one guy who's kind of my main opposition wins, it'll be a total disaster for the Trump movement if this guy gets in because he's surrounded by never-Trumpers. So, so the stakes are so high here. Around the country, people need to focus on winnable races like this because this is where we can make up ground. And, guys, we need your help because literally the the fate of this seat in Congress for literally the next 20 years will probably be decided on May 15th because if this other guy gets in, 
Once he's in, it's going to be just about impossible to get him out. Michael Snyder, again, running for the first district in Idaho, and the uh, vote, primary vote, April 15th and early May 15th. May 15th I'm sorry, May 15th. and early voting April starts, 23rd. Yes, April then. 23rd. Um, Michael, thank you so much for spending the time to come on tonight. The website, Michael Snyder for Idaho.com. Visit that website and bookmark Michael it. Michael Snyder for Congress as well. That's what yeah. I, isn't that what I said? Well, you said Idaho, but he's got both. Yeah, for both. The, the platform's on there, but, but you know what? I, I beseech every listener to this program. This is what I said earlier. We can make a difference. Just one person can make a difference. Volunteer. Help Michael Snyder. The guy, he's a good guy. His family's a wonderful family. He believes what we believe, and he can change things. You heard him, Mr. Snyder, Congressman Snyder. I, we believe in you. We really do. I'm well, thank you. you, guys. And your support means the world to us, and appreciate you having, having us uh, on today. And thank you for all the other good candidates you've been having on. You guys really are making a difference, and I, I can't thank you enough. Well, do us one thing. Uh, give your wife and and. and yeah, a child a hug for us because they deserve it and uh just kick some kick some you know what kick some butt out there as, as you go and and don't stop we'll be behind you beside you and uh we'll be talking about this and promoting your candidacy because we believe in you and this is do or die man it's for all the marbles right this is it this is it may 15th if we don't win it's all over it's all over so if people want people like me to get into Congress, a new generation of next generation of like a Ron Paul, we've got to act now because uh, a couple months from now it'll be too late. Brother, get some rest. Uh, grab a cup of tea, soothe that voice, and uh, know that we've got your back. And uh, uh, we really appreciate your time. We really do. I think I think you're gonna make history. Thank you guys. I believe so too. All right. Keep the faith. That was Michael Snyder, uh, economiccollapseblog.com. But, folks, this is how we can make a difference. So the people who send me emails saying, well, you never give us any alternatives. Here's one. You never tell us how to make. Here's one. You, you can put the people like Kyle from White, White, yeah, Right Wing Watch, who, who's got this obsessive, uh, seemingly obsessive, disorder and, and attacking everything that's God-given, attacking the uh, our God-given rights, attacking our beliefs, attacking what has sci- been scientifically proven, and attacking men like Michael Snyder. We can we can we can make them irrelevant. Him and people like him. We can make change. We, we we've got the power. I, I don't know. This isn't a rally, but it should be because we've got the power. To make the change. Michael Snyder's got that power. Can you imagine? Think of it this way. Can you imagine? Because I'd do this. You're, you're Mr. Mr. Snyder or Mr. Hagman, uh, paging you for the, uh, fre- for freshman Congress initiation meeting, you know, 10 o'clock. You know what my response would be? Yep. Bite me. Sorry. If that's offensive, I'm sorry. I ain't going. Here's the deal. I'm not going to make calls for the party. He said he wouldn't. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to play by those rules. We have to. We have to say, you know what? You punks don't play by the rules. You're street fighters. You've changed the rules. Why should we be hamstrung by what you you created this mess? 
and even you establishment Republican rhino punks. Enough. We're not going to do this anymore. This is what we're, we're making that statement. And even if, hey, I'll tell you something. We can help people. We can help Michael Snyder. We can help people like him. It's about time we gather, we, we circle the wagons, and, and we support people like Michael Snyder. And I, I'm going to tell you something. The flip side to that is you and I, all of us, we're going to hold him accountable. We're going to help him. But doggone it, we're going to hold him accountable when he's there. And he knows that. His, I'll tell you something. His integrity, his character is not for sale. Like these 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 people in there. Look at Congress, by the way, Joe. Look at oh, yeah, Congress. Yeah, they make, what, $170,000 a year, yet after two to five years, every one of them comes out there multi-millionaires, sometimes several times over again. And it, how can that be? There's so many things that they're allowed to do, the kickbacks. When we see things like the $1.3 trillion spending bill being passed, you have to understand that just like with the TARP bailouts under Obama, the money is taken from the federal government, created out of thin air, adding to the expected problem of later inflation, and given to all these companies. And in return for this money, they will kick it back to the politicians or in to wherever else the politicians direct them to send that money. And this is how it's done, you know. Uh, I but can, let's, I can let's have a, a revolution now, let's though. Spend, uh, but we don't I'm have to pay do you a million dollars. I'm going to pass a bill for $2 million for your organization. You're going to kick back $1 million to me, and that's how it's going to go. And but, imagine but we're not for sale. 400 right. other people. That's how Congress 435. I, I understand that, but we're not for sale. Our integrity, our future is not for sale. Well, it is if you're in Washington, apparently. Uh, I, 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 well, this is why you're making my point. This is why. Michael Snyder for Congress, doggone it. We can, we can put him in office and, uh, and, and expect that he would uphold the Constitution. I, I believe, oh, I, don't I, he will. I believe him, that he would more than, than anyone there. And it's, it's refreshing to see this because we are, can you feel it? I mean, I don't know if you, if you, if you're watching this or if you're, if you're listening to this, but, but can you feel that? That change, we can change. Just like during the, the general election in 2016 with Donald Trump. What a change. What a drastic whiplash from that Marxist Muslim that was in the White House. They had a few, well, extra, extra size, extra size and really clean the White House out after we had the Marxist Muslim in there for, for eight years and everything that he brought. But look at Congress. Look at the, check out Luke Rosiak's column. I was going to touch on it this morning. I didn't get a chance to. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Awan, the Awan, uh, criminal cabal. Did you know that working, the Awans working for Wasserman Schultz and the 44 Democrats, did yeah, you know they did not have, they did not conduct any background investigations on these IT workers? The most sensitive information accessible out there given to Pakistani nationals, farming their IT work out to Pakistani nationals, and not one background investigation on these on these people. <laughs> this again, I'm pointing to Michael Snyder and, and 
asking him, please fix this. Be one of the 435 to fix this. Yeah. But you know what? We have to get involved. Yeah, we do. And, and, and that's, that's where we're at. So, you know, if, if I sound cranky, I'm not cranky. I'm just, I'm, I'm really trying to put forward the, really drive home the fact that it's up to us because if it's not us, who, who are going who is going to do this if we don't do it? That's right. It's not going to be, well, you know who I'm talking about, but yeah. Well, um, yeah, he's, we he's have a few minutes left here in the segment, so I want to cover a few things. Uh, to take us out until we're joined by Peter Chowka. Two things uh, that at least uh, I want to cover that I know we have time to do. One, today was the uh, annual White House Easter Egg Roll. And this is an annual event where families and reporters are invited to the White House for a day of Easter activities. Now, there's Easter Egg Hunt, an official egg roll, where children use wooden spoons to roll Easter eggs across the lawn. Some of President Trump's grandchildren participated in this event just this year. And uh, there are pictures of the president sitting at the table and, and interacting with these children. But what happened during this Easter egg roll that is being talked about? Is it the fact that, you know, again, we see uh, the, the president you know, carrying out some of the traditions of, uh, of the White House, this being one of them? Well, Jim Acosta who now people are calling for his job, or at least for him to be suspended, started screaming at the president while he's sitting at a table with these children coloring coloring books after the Easter egg roll. And he started to yell at President Trump. What, didn't he get a coloring what book? What about the DACA kids? What about the DACA kids? Should they worry about what's going to happen to them? This was after Trump tweeted this weekend that the DACA deal was dead, not because of his action or his inaction, because of Congress's inaction. And even... On the heels of passing the spending bill, the president reminded the Democrats that if they were to provide a provision for the uh, DACA recipients in the spending bill, that he would have signed it. And what did they do? They left it out. So, but, but okay, the Jim news, Acosta though, goes on to say the, the, okay, Acosta, go on. Didn't you that. kill DACA? Didn't, didn't you kill DACA? All while the president's sitting with this group of kids enjoying the tradition of the White House and doing the Easter activities with their parents there. And this is what Acosta is, is screaming about. What a bully. What, what, what a bully. A, okay. He's an idiot. Yeah. But, but when you look, okay, so that's the story. It's not Acosta asking the question. Right. It's not even a question. Right. It, it's the, it's the, it's an accusation in the form of the, a question. Thank you. And, and it's in front of the children at an event that has nothing to do with with any of this look at the, we're exposing the tactics this is what we need to do look at this this is all on display this man shame on you acosta shame on each and every person that does this kind of thing and let's call these people out and let's say this isn't right hell no and by the way don't talk to me that way yeah, Jim Acosta is a senior White House correspondent for CNN, and he has a long history of being combative with the president and then whining after breaking the rules of, of, uh, the press briefings and of just standard, you know, ethical or moral, uh, conduct, you know, by shouting out of turn, uh, you know, being very hostile towards the president, asking questions, you know, like, uh, an example you gave last week, you know, prove you don't beat your wife, things like that. Uh, this is the kind of uh, gotcha journalism that 
CNN and, and many of these other news organizations are uh, made up of. Now, that brings us to our next piece, and this you can find up on Hagman Report, and this is about the the St. Clair Media uh, Group's dissemination of a message, which many people uh, have a problem with, and, and I'll, I have a problem with it, too. Now, this uh, there's a video you can find on Hagman Report, which shows the a number of local news organizations, all with the same exact message, word for word, except replacing the names of their towns and the names of the reporters. And now CNN and MSNBC say they're very concerned about the Sinclair Broadcasting propaganda campaign, so much so that they've started uh, stealing each other's talking points. This is from the Daily Caller. But media outlets had a collective meltdown after Deadspin compiled the video of local news networks owned by Sinclair reading the same script warning viewers against fake news. The script itself was rather innocuous and nonpartisan, where it went on to say uh, it's our responsibility to pursue the truth, and many members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda control exactly what people think. So the message isn't that bad. And they also go on to say, if you think that we, um, in any way, you know, are agenda-driven or, or trying to... Uh, mislead you, then let us know. Because credibility... Well, then let them know, because... Okay, but here's the problem. Look, it's not what they say it is. It's never what they say it's about. Go on. Now, many people are defending this, uh, because what they say is it's promoting the journalistic integrity, and it's promoting fair and objective reporting. Journalistic integrity? That's that's actually a thing? Okay, but my problem is this. The... uh, Why couldn't the, the news media, or the local media, put this in their own words, or say this in their own way? Why do we have to have the same te- techniques and, and propaganda psyops as we see used to constantly feed us lies and misinformation and deceit? And what I mean by that is we see one report issued from one uh, place at the top disseminated to all these different organizations. And in this instance, the message is not a, a harmful one, but more often than not, they usually are. It's not and about this, the message, it's about the tactic. Exactly. And this, regardless if it's promoting a conservative or a liberal point of view, is a dangerous road. But these people are losing their control of that message the more that the alternative media uh, gets attention and people stop paying attention to what the mainstream says. And there was recent reports just today that the American people distrust the media. 73% distrust the media and believe that they're always being lied to by the mainstream media. Very interesting. When we come back, Peter Chalka will join us to weigh in on this and a number of other things. Don't go anywhere. You know, just off of the Resurrection Weekend, something to celebrate, and I hope everyone is energized from that, really, because there's a lot to be energized. If you are a true believer, and the majority of our, our listeners are, um, you've got, we are heading, I believe, in, we are living in the most exciting time in modern times, I believe. It's exciting. It's a little bit, you know, well, what's going to happen next? The headlines never disappoint, for crying out loud. I mean, there's always a headline that's always, it's a, every day is a news-heavy day. But um, 
having Michael Snyder on, Jack Posobiec talking to Michael Snyder. Look at the quality of potential congressional candidates. For example, Michael Snyder for Idaho. Isn't that great? Just getting back to him, and, and I would urge everyone to support his congressional run because we can change. We can change the world. We can change the way things are. Speaking of changes, remember last month, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about our, our new sponsor, forhims.com, and that is F O R H I M S, forhims.com. Guys, pull up a chair. Let, let me, let me, let me, let's talk for a second. You know, we had talked about the, uh, you and I, look, I'm getting older. We're all getting older. If you are a guy, pay very close attention about what I'm going to tell you because when you get older, well, you, you, things happen, okay? Forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, for skin care, for even sexual wellness. Now, that latter part, you know, sometimes, man, what's that all about, really? We're going to talk about that. But let me ask a question because I had a conversation with Pastor Langford not too long ago. And we were talking about the importance of marriage and the importance of relationship and the dynamics of a husband and wife relationship, especially being a Christian family. You know, it's one thing to be close, for example, close to your wife, but what about intimacy? And I'm not being trying to be funny or being crude. It's all part of the biblical marriage, isn't it? And regardless of your age, but you know, as we age, sometimes things don't work the way they should. We've got problems with our hair, for example. We've got problems with our skin. We've got uh, guy problems. It happens. I know. I know. When I was talking with Pastor Langford and was talking to some good friends, a lot of guys share somewhat embarrassing problems. Don't let your embarrassment stop you from getting help for whatever you need. For example, the intimacy. If you've got intimacy issues, Hey, they're more common than you think. Over 25% of uh, men who have problems with intimacy with with their wives, they're under 40 years old. 40% of men by age 40 struggle with, with these issues. And you kind of wonder, why do guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing at all when they can turn instead to medicine and science? Sometimes you don't want to talk necessarily to your doctor about this. Well, this is where 4 comes into play. It is, again, as I said, a one-stop shop for, for guys that suffer from hair loss or skin care or sexual wellness, exactly, for men. And thanks to science, for example, 4 gives you an option for any intimacy issues that you might have, sexual performance issues that you might have. And believe me, that's an important thing. In a marriage, it's important. Guys, listen to me. Thanks to science, we've got your solutions right here. 4 has got your solutions. 4 connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat such problems. They've got well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you combat whatever the issues might be. It's not snake oils or pills or gas station counter supplements. It, it, these are prescription solutions backed by science. I spoke with a, a gentleman who heard for hims.com, a commercial, uh, I read for, for hims.com. The hair product, absolutely fantastic. Two thumbs up. 
all thumbs up actually with this it's so great there's no waiting room no awkward doctor uh, doctor visits no lines you can save hours by going to forhims.com all you have to do is answer a few quick questions and chat with a doctor for a confidential review it's like having your own concierge doctor that's the way i look at it products are shipped directly to your door so look your problems in this area as as alpha males males in a biblical family relationship with your wife it's so important these problems don't have to affect you go to forhims.com slash h-h-e-d that's forhims that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash h-h-e-d all right try hymns for a month today for just five dollars we'll get you started for just five bucks while supplies last You've got to see the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctors or a pharmacy, if we tried other other matters and methods. This is critical. And guys, I'm talking to you. So save the embarrassment. Do it now. Go to forhims.com slash H-H-E-D or simply go to hagmanreport.com and click on the link. But don't let it... Look, do, do something about this. You can. Let's be real men. And, and uh, let 4 take care of your needs. Joe, I'm going to kick it over All to right. you. Each Monday. Uh, oh, we... wait, wait. One thing before we go. One announcement. John handed me a note. I, I saw the draft of this, and I wanted to make sure everyone got this. There's a new article up at Hagman Report called Social Justice Mo- uh, Monsters. I saw the draft of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are going to want to read that. Bookmark uh, HagmanReport.com. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's, uh, social justice matters or monsters. Um, it's it's really kind of it's it's a great article. But Peter Chowka, as well, has got some great stuff yeah. out there right now. So go and ahead, we're gonna bring, bring him, him on. Just want to just one last quick announcement. Something we we talked about, didn't get an answer about last week about the Pope. Could the Pope be impeached? Well, apparently that was attempted this weekend. Uh, at the as the Vatican attempted impeachment of the Pope for heresy that was made by a group of inf- influential cardinals. On Thursday, the group allegedly sent an emissary, a foreign cardinal, to warn the Pope about the imminent threat of impeachment he would face. He was urged to dismiss his public assertions on the non-existence of hell as fake news by his good friends and collaborator. Uh, anyways, you can read that at Infowars.com. So apparently there is a body of people inside the Vatican that can overrule and, and impeach the Pope, and that's good to know. Anyway, with that, Peter Chalka is our guest. He's got a great piece up on Hagman Report. And uh, this is an interesting one. I gotta say, Peter, this this piece that you wrote uh, is never Trump or Ben Shapiro ready for the prime time. And there's a lot to unpack here, as we have seen how much Ben Shapiro has been making the news as of late, and even rumors that he might acquire and buy the Blaze. We know he has ba- he is backed by I think it's a billionaire uh, in in his own ventures. And uh, we see just the, he's he's all over the place now. Peter, welcome back to the show. And it's a, a great article you wrote today. Thank you, Joe. It's great to see you. And uh, good evening, Doug. Uh, yes, I wound up spending, instead of having a restful or meditative Easter holiday weekend, I wound up working almost nonstop on that article, which was posted today both at American Thinker and almost simultaneously at the Hagman Report. And I, as usual, slightly tweak the Hagman Report version since I have access to the server 
and can tweak and edit away. But, uh, oh, by the way, we are joined tonight by Biggie the Cat, who is on my right. Remember last week, uh, at this time, Biggie was under the weather, so Lulu appeared, and tonight Lulu is um, playing shy, so it will be Biggie to entertain the cat fans in the audience. By the way, somebody asked on the YouTube chat, which is now archived along with the complete show recording, so I went back and looked at the complete chat from my appearance last week, and somebody asked if, um, I guess it was Lulu at that point, was a Burmese. So to answer that question, get it out of the way, uh, neither cat is a uh, pedigreed cat. They're both rescues. Lulu definitely looks like she may have some Russian blue in her background. And uh, Biggie has been said to re resemble a Korat, but uh, he's most likely a mixed breed. But they're both solid gray, and they're both amazing cats. So tonight it's Biggie's turn to be on camera, and we'll see what he does as he's enjoying the catnip now. But yes, to get into the story that I posted today about uh, Ben Shapiro, last Friday it was announced with a great deal of fanfare that Ben Shapiro would be supposedly the first person in history of in the history of media to take a podcast to terrestrial talk radio and not any terrestrial talk radio but take it right to the top including getting his podcast on WABC AM 770 in New York which is the highest rated talk radio station in the United States and he's on uh, about six other stations as well uh, in this evening as we speak, WLS Chicago, KABC Los Angeles. So I started uh, to research that because I thought that's a really interesting development and it's being presented as this breakthrough thing. And, of course, Ben Shapiro is um, hes kind of a... Uh, superstar wannabe. He's a very ambitious young man. He's 34 now. He has a, He's obviously a, a whiz kid. He finished high school at 16, UCLA at 20, and Harvard Law School at 23. And he did well in all of those college environments. He had a nationally syndicated column at age 17. And after college, he worked for a while as an attorney and then very quickly uh, started writing books, seven to date. Uh, and he's a conservative, a political, co political conservative, and he writes about politics. He's also written a lot of articles for online publications. And in 2015, he, uh, thanks to the help of two billionaire brothers from Cisco, Texas, the Wilkes brothers who made their fortune in the first decade of this century, apparently, in the fracking business. And they're worth billions of dollars now. And they funded uh, the creation of the Daily Wire, which has become a very highly trafficked website in the last two and a half years of conservative news and views. And um, Ben Shapiro is the editor and the face of it. Now, at the same time, in, in 2015... Uh, actually, he was into his third or fourth year at that point of being an editor-at-large at Breitbart, Breitbart News, Breitbart.com, 
which at that point was uh, under the direction of uh, Steve Bannon. Now, an interesting thing, this is actually quite significant because most of us probably remember this, that in March of 2016, when the campaign and the primaries was really hot and heavy and Trump was uh, facing his many opponents for the Republican nomination, uh, a rather obscure journalist, Michelle Fields, who at the time was writing for Breitbart, and she's an independently wealthy young woman with a pedigreed Los Angeles media background. She uh, alleged that at a after a press conference that she attended with President Trump, that she was manhandled, if not assaulted, by Corey, Corey Lewandowski, who at the time was President Trump's campaign manager. And this brouhaha got a lot of coverage in the mainstream media because, of course, it was a black mark against uh, President Trump's right-hand man. Now, her allegations evaporated very quickly. She preferred charges, and the investigation that went forward at the locality in Florida where this happened could find no basis for the charges. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, uh, Ben Shapiro who was still editor-at-large at Breitbart.com, as well as holding down his top editor position at Daily Wire, he quit Breitbart.com in high-profile solidarity with Michelle Fields and using it as the opportunity to further bash President Trump because he had uh, emerged in 2015 when Trump declared as a never-Trumper. Now... The interesting thing here was that, um, well, first of all, he lent his credibility in 2016 to Michelle Fields' accusations, and both of them appeared on a very receptive Megyn Kelly show on Fox News to do their number. And even when Michelle Fields' accusations evaporated, uh, Shapiro never retracted his full-throated support of her bogus charges. So, uh, but if we dial this back to 2011, interestingly, at that point, uh, Shapiro wrote an article for, um, I think it was Town Hall here, which I quote, yes, titled The Magic of Donald Trump. This was in 2011, where he says, and these are his words, in the last several weeks, that ideal Republican candidate has materialized. His name is Donald Trump. And he went on from there lionizing Donald J. Trump in 2011 when there was a buzz about Mr. Trump possibly challenging Barack Hussein Obama in the 2012 election, which, of course, did not happen. So the question is, what happened happened to Shapiro between his uh, vigorous promotion of Donald Trump in 2011 and his going totally sour on the man in 2015 when he finally declared. Uh, And actually, what happened is, I I found out as I got into the research for this article, and you alluded to this, Joe, and I mentioned it as well, that uh, these brothers, the Wilkes brothers in Texas, who uh, helped to get Ted Cruz's PAC started, and they funded uh, that PAC in favor of Ted Cruz, who, of course, was running against Trump, and they were really going at it. So these brothers were big Cruz supporters, 
And they are also very, actually, not that much is known about the Wilkes brothers because they, they made their billions so quickly and they present themselves as just plain folks. They're not uh, movers and shakers. They're not Hollywood types or uh, cocktail party types. They're, in fact, one of the brothers is a very devout uh, member of a Seventh-day Adventist Yahweh church and he is currently serving as a minister at, at that local church in Texas. So they're kind of leading private lives. They're extremely conservative and extremely dedicated to their faith. And uh, they put their money on Ted Cruz and they put other millions on Ben Shapiro. Now, uh, interestingly, it was not known until uh, a very obscure blogger from upstate New York who runs a blog that nobody's ever heard of that uh, focuses on upstate New York political issues. This blogger, for some reason, got interested in trying to figure out who was behind Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire website. So this blogger read down the long list of, uh, not terms of service, but terms of use, I think it's called, at the Daily Wire website, all the legalese, and at the very tail end was a note that this was owned by Forward Media LLC, I think is the name of it. And lo and behold, the address for that was Cisco, Texas. So this blogger did some research and figured out that it was the Wilkes brothers or somebody in their family who is behind, who are behind this forward company. And uh, he published it, but it got really no traction at the time. It, you know, like many stories that actually are significant and should get traction, it did not. Uh, now, when I got wind of this more recently, of course, um, I looked at that page today at the website. And interestingly, it no longer says Forward LLC Cisco, Texas. It says Forward LLC headquartered in Sherman Oaks, California. So we see that in the last two years, and I looked up the original page at archive.org, which of course says, confirms uh, Cisco, Texas. So at some point, Daily Wire took the steps to try to, it appears, to try to mask who is really funding their whole operation then. So uh, you noted, Joe, as well, that uh, in February, it was reported, and again, it, it made a very quick splash, and then that story went away. It was reported in February that this mogul wannabe, one-stop shopping conservative Ben Shapiro was making an offer to buy the uh, crumbling Glenn Beck empire, the Blaze TV and the Blaze website, because uh, it, it's crashing and burning. Beck has had to lay off a lot of staff. The money just isn't there. And he apparently, Glenn Beck peaked uh, in the middle period of when he was on Fox News from 2009 to 2011, I think it was. I think he was on for just about two years there with his 5 p.m. Eastern show. Then he started up the Blaze TV and website, and it just hasn't panned out. And also, the... Uh, a close associate of Glenn Beck was, I believe, I'm doing this from memory now, but uh, this can be researched and I'm going to be covering it in my next article. A close associate of Glenn Beck is, I believe, the co-chairman of, or was the co-chairman 
of one of Ted Cruz's, uh, the main pack supporting him in the 2016 campaign. So there is a web of connections here, which, uh, looks, I mean, there's a lot of smoke there, let's say. You know, if there's not a smoking gun, there's a lot of smoke pointing to the fact that, uh, these guys hire Shapiro, who's a good front man, in my opinion. He fronts the Daily Wire. He makes this big move to support Michelle Fields and denigrate Donald Trump. Throughout the campaign, he's saying, he's writing, I'm not going to vote for Trump, you know, and he's using the Daily Wire to push that. And, um, of course, Trump wins. At around the same time, Shapiro starts up a Daily Podcast, which uh, was produced initially by the Daily Wire, so clearly the money's coming from the Wilkes brothers. And at some point, uh, Westwood One, which is uh, one of the largest, if the not largest, providers of program radio program content in the United States and currently now syndicates uh, The Savage Nation, Mark Levin Show, and... Uh, so they have a, 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 a online arm as well. So they started co-producing uh, Shapiro's daily podcast, which I admit I never listened to until uh, I started researching him last week. And my take on Shapiro is, uh, you know, of course I'm a, I was aware of the guy and I would see his stuff from time to time, but he always impressed me as somebody whose ambition was overriding his. Uh, his utilization as far as I was concerned. He's he's more like an opinion talking head than a journalist who researches stories or breaks stories. And plus, he gets credit, like many people who have the push from somewhere that's elevating them to the next higher level. You know, this guy supposedly does it all, which is why I say one-stop shopping. He's got a daily one-hour podcast, which is very slickly produced, and it's also on video. He's uh, editing Daily Wire, which has grown to be a very highly trafficked Internet website because of the money that's poured into it. Uh, He appears on television as a talking head. He writes tons of articles. He continues to publish books, number seven in all recently. And... uh, you know, I don't care how smart or energetic or talented this guy is. In my opinion, it would be just about impossible for one person to be pulling all of this stuff off. He obviously seems to me, in my opinion, has a lot of help, you know, more power to him. He probably knows how to hire good talent. But, of course, he's the face of it. He gets credit for it all. And something about that rubs me the wrong way. You know, I, I, Peter, if I can just interject this, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to direct our listeners, of course, to follow the Peter Chalka, Pete Chalka, on Twitter, and Hagman Report, as well as American Thinker. But but this is so vital to our um, your attention to detail. You're chasing the um, and and grabbing a hold of the the minutia. And, and saying, okay, who's behind this guy? It's so vital to understand who is backing, because what, what we what we see with Shapiro, in particular, it, it's not what you it's not what people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you point this out very, very you document the heck out of it, and it, that's not necessarily an indictment of the of Shapiro. It's not a uh, pejorative of of Ben, ben Shapiro. It's just a factual analysis. 
So we're kind of being gamed on the surface in a way when we shouldn't be. That's kind of what you're you're exposing here. This is a huge exposure. If people paid attention to the details, what you're what you're I'm sorry, what you're uh, what you've laid out for us, this is critical. Absolutely, Doug, and it's only just the beginning. What I reported in the article today at American Thinker and the Hagman Report is an article that's targeted to Shapiro because it was today, earlier today on WABC in New York, that his podcast went to radio. So I wanted to get an article up today about that, previewing that, because this was the day that was for that supposed breakthrough, which will put him in some Hall of Fame somewhere as having been the alleged first. Although I think actually, just off the top of my head, Art Bell was there first, because a couple of years ago when Art Bell was doing one of his uh, comebacks, he started with a podcast, and then that was picked up by KBC AM in Los Angeles and possibly one or two other stations. Peter, I know that sound. That's a hairball. <laughs> Joe sounds like that sometimes in the studio. Um, and, you know, this. Uh, let me just point this out. It's a good point to point out this little microphone here because somebody at the chat last week, actually several people said, what is that microphone? It looks like a little cell phone. So just to answer that question for anybody who's still curious, it's the Samson Go Mic. Here's the box it came in. I have no financial interest in this microphone, but it's a, it's a cool. Let me get it on. It's a cool little mic that cost me forty dollars retail. It's very cute and it really does the job. It sounds as good as more expensive microphones I have, but I guess it picked up one of the cats uh, having a little fit there. But. Uh, now, where was I in my uh, story here? Oh, the the broadcast today, well, uh, tar- okay, targeting the articles to today, and I just kept it at that. What The other stuff I was finding out this weekend, uh, and I, I discussed this with my editor at American Thinker, this has to be nailed down. I've got most of the story, and I'm going to get into it in a moment here. Uh, because it's pretty solid. And by the way, I can't take credit for discovering this. I've credited uh, the individual in upstate New York with his blog, and also the conservative treehouse and Sundance quoted that blog two years ago. So others have been there first, and they wrote a little bit about it, although both of them got some details wrong in the story, which I tried to uh, correct in my research. Uh, but as I said, it didn't get any traction. So I'm I'm building on the work of uh, predecessors here, and I'm going to give them full credit when I write volume two or chapter two of this story, as I always do. Uh, but this one just is this first article is targeted on what's going on with Shapiro right now, and that that's an interesting story in and of itself, especially how he uh, flipped from being pro-Trump to anti-Trump, and all the indications are it's because of who was uh, paying his way? And right, we don't, we don't. I don't feel like I'm in a position to criticize him per se. He can take whatever position he wants to, you know. But what I'm looking for here is transparency, which, in my opinion, we did not have because he's never gone on the record about any of this. And when they're 
giving a different address now for this forward LLC company in Sherman Oaks. So apparently, it seems it cannot be traced back to Cisco, Texas. Well, we have to wonder about that. And uh, somebody who, who wrote about this earlier said, and I'm looking for the quote here. Uh, okay. Uh, this was in regard to uh, to uh, the mention of Glenn Beck's business partner, whose name actually was David Barton, who also was... Yeah, David Barton. Barton, he's a, who's a, he's a guy who promotes the founding fathers. He's also co-authored a few books with Glenn Beck, and uh, he doesn't do a great job of. He, he leaves a lot out uh, about the history of the founding fathers and misrepresents their uh, religious motivations. But excellent, excellent point. Thank you. Well, the the author of this article, which was in the North County Dispatch, put it this way, and it's a great quote: "If the owner of the New York Times gave millions to Hillary." Every white right-winger in the country would scream foul play. Yet, when Ben Shapiro's employer does it for the benefit of Ted Cruz, then all is well in the land of conservative punditry. Now, we've heard about this kind of thing previously with Breitbart. We know that a very wealthy family named the Mercers, who also were initially not friendly to Donald Trump, funded uh, Breitbart News after Andrew Breitbart died and they brought on Steve Bannon to run it and uh, Breitbart for the first three or four years under that uh, control was not favorable to Trump and then Bannon flipped himself uh, between 2015 and early 2016 and became pro-Trump and started uh, turning Breitbart News into a pro Trump mouthpiece. And then, of course, later he went to work for Donald Trump in the White House. And after he left that and uh, Wolf's book appeared quoting uh, Steve Bannon, the Mercers cut him off and he's out of Breitbart now. And, and Breitbart's readership has actually been cut in half. And that's another story in itself because there's probably some uh, hanky-panky censorship or advertising suppression going on there. But, uh, you know, anyway, that's the main example that has made it into our consciousness, both the mainstream and the new media, of what's going on with Breitbart. But because Breitbart was sort of pro-Trump for a lot of that time, you know, it didn't really bother us. It didn't really bother me. But now when I see what Shapiro was uh, supposedly, presumably doing with Daily Wire and his other work, his podcast, for example, his becoming a leading never-Trumper, uh, of course, that rubs me the wrong way. So now I'm, try I'm paying closer attention to it and wondering who's funding everybody else in the new media supposed alt-right universe. This is something we have to take a look at because the tier of media that we've got in this country now, I mean, we've done show after show, and I've done article after article about the, the, the problems with the mainstream media and the one exception there being Fox News for much of the day at least. And then below that, we have the so-called new media, which would include what we are doing here right now, what American Thinker does, and then all the rest, you know, the ones that are uh, much bigger than any of us, Breitbart, Daily Wire, Town Hall, there's a whole laundry list of them. 
And I, I think if, when you... Yeah, Peter, I'm sorry again, but I, I just want to interject this, just so people know, because you're a part of this operation. Peter Barry Chalka is a, a, a part of HagmanReport.com to the extent that he contributes articles, and he does a lot for this platform, just so people understand this. You look at Ben Shapiro, as, as Peter Chalka has done, and look at other uh, these uh, these other alternative media uh, platforms. Look at the money behind this. Just to be perfectly clear, we are a grassroots operation. The only reason we exist is because people like you out there listening and watching, because you support us. We don't get um, billionaire backers or millionaire backers. Uh, we do have uh, sponsorships or sponsors for from BTR, for example. But that's it. Well, it's all you guys. To, somebody wants to sponsor for a million dollars. Well, but see, but see, but the problem Peter, is the the, content the control. control. Yeah. The, yeah, and and you point this out, and, and and look at what Peter has discovered. Follow his details because it's and so there's critical. nobody there's nobody backing us. We are not hacks. Right, fronting for some money bags person out there with an agenda. If it's an agenda that's close to ours, you know, then we're you know we'd probably be okay with it, but. They're still gonna pull our chain, right? Oh yeah. And uh, you know, and and absolutely, the Hagman report, everything about it is grassroots, and there's no uh, money bags funding it or pushing an agenda. And it's the same thing with American Thinker. I've had this conversation very recently with Thomas Lipson, the publisher, founder, and editor of American Thinker. And yeah. in fact, we we went over this on the phone two nights ago as we were discussing my work on on these articles. And he said, "You know, Peter, uh, I had offers to take money from. No, I, I pro- actually I probably shouldn't even say this, but let me just say, <laughs> he he pointed out again that he is completely independent. Uh, yes, he takes advertising, but it's not like he chooses the advertisers. It's like the luck of the draw, the way this works. And uh, he's, he's completely independent. And he may make editorial decisions based on his philosophy, but that's very, very different than somebody sitting somewhere in the cloud. We don't even know who it is pulling the strings. And then, you know, the front people are just out there like a bunch of uh, ventriloquist dummies. So... I'm just saying we need some transparency here. We demand it of the mainstream media, and we have to start looking at what's going on in the alt-right new media, too, because a lot of it is conflicted, conflicts of interest, and uh, it, it, it's, it's just uh, it, that, that should be known when you're reading the content of these websites. So, you know, that's what I'm looking into now. I'm not about to sit on a high horse and, and judge anybody, but I'm just trying to get what's actually already open source material. It's just you have to go looking for it. You have to look at financial information online and put this uh, picture of the networks together. Discover the networks, which is a uh, website by um, Horowitz, um, Horowitz yeah. David Horowitz, yep. and you know, excellent website. And this is a network on the right side of the fence that we have to discover and talk about, and then. You know, at, at the, I don't want to say lesser tier, but at closer to the grassroots still are people, I would argue, like ourselves, uh, like American Thinker, and like so many of the guests that you have on who are doing things on YouTube, uh, at, at small websites, at Twitter, however they can do it as citizen journalists, and in some cases as 
uh, regular journalists to get the story out, and they're working independently of funding coming from somewhere. So, you know, there's at least a three-tiered system now, or a multi-tiered system, that has become clearer in my view, and we have to really take a very cold, hard look at that now. And I just want to say for the record, too, I've said this before, and, and I'm not whining by pointing this out, but it is a fact that I do this work, including uh, over 200 articles that I've published in real publications in the past year at American Thinker and at Hagman Report, uh, for which I have been paid zero. And I'm not complaining. I am happy I'm, to be at a place where I can give back because I feel like a patri- as a patriotic American, uh, I'm happy to give back and use my talents and experience to contribute. And a lot of my work along the way, going back decades, has been pro bono anyway. So I'm very comfortable with that, and I feel uh, very good about the concept. So, uh, you know, I don't have a PayPal. I'm not looking for contributions. I'm just contributing. But what I am looking for is readers, listeners, and viewers. And, and just to make a very quick side note here, uh, I, got on, I got on Twitter uh, last August uh, – Reluctantly, because I was very hesitant about social media by dipping my toe in there, mainly because of the privacy aspects, and I think I was probably proven right there. But uh, I did get enthusiastically into Twitter and uh, very quickly started to build up a a good following, adding an average of 12 to 15 followers a day through early February, so for the first six months. And uh, in, in the course of that, Several hundred people direct messaged me on Twitter, and I try to answer everybody who messages me, whether they're pro or con, but the vast, vast majority were very supportive, and uh, I'm not looking for praise either from direct messages or, or comments. I'm looking for other people out there who are dedicated to research, have something to say, or, or just want to say hi or send me a picture of their cat. I'll answer anybody, but in a number of cases... I got into very vigorous exchanges, both on direct message Twitter and then on email with people who had approached me on Twitter. And a number of these people have given me very solid leads on things that I was not aware of because no one person can know everything, certainly at this point. And then uh, into my direct message box after last week's show dropped what seemed to me a very provocative and hostile message. Somebody uh, accused me of whining on the last two appearances on Hagman and complaining that I had lost followers or I wasn't gaining followers. I said, no, I wasn't whining. I was just pointing out in the context of our discussion of the uh, shadow banning and the suppression and censorship that is obviously going on uh, I used my experience recently as an example, and I guess this is the uh, this is the uh, price of citing your own example. Somebody's going to be sitting out there and accuse you of whining when you're just pointing out objectively what you observed. And, and, and you know, Peter, that, that's a problem when we become the story. For example, you know, the, the lawfare or whatever the, the whatever the event might be when when we when we cite ourselves as examples like you just said we're just pointing out facts and saying you know what if it, if it, if it's happening to us this is it happening to you or if it mm-hmm. if it hasn't it will so i get that and and a lot of times people don't really understand until they're in that position so it's mm-hmm. well received go ahead sir yeah and they they tend to you know 
uh, impugn your motives right out of the box. So I answered this person and said, you know, if you had just approached me, and, and this person said, oh, you're using Twitter all in the wrong way. You don't tweet enough. You don't retweet. You don't follow enough people. And I, I, So I replied and I said, you know, if you'd asked me how and why I use Twitter, I would have been happy to explain to you that I'm using it I mean, there's as many ways to use Twitter and social media as there are people. Now, most people do follow a lot of people. They retweet a lot. I don't have time to retweet a lot. I'm a publishing journalist. I'm spending every waking minute and then some researching and writing articles for publication. So occasionally I will retweet or I'll tweet things that interest me, but I, I don't live on Twitter. So I use my Twitter account basically as a table of contents for people who are interested in my work to direct them to it in one place. So I, I answered saying, if you had asked me, I would have told you this, and I got a hostile reply, so that was the end of that. But meanwhile, another of my Twitter friends turned me on to a brief video by Paul Joseph Watson, who was interviewing a female named Roaming Millennial. And uh, I watched this with great interest because it was about this censorship great that interview. we are all under. Yes, all undergoing. And and this these two quotes were the money quotes. Paul Joseph Watson said, "It's them tweaking the algorithm in the background. So suddenly your audience dwindles away, and you can't prove that they've done anything." I think that's the main threat going forward. End quote. And Roaming Millennial answered, "Quote." It's a smart way for them of doing things. They can ban people without actually having to ban them. End quote. Yeah. I thought that was a brilliant brief summation of what we are seeing. So this hostile person who accused me, I wish this person could watch that video and maybe become informed and enlightened about what we're experiencing here. And that's all I was talking about and saying that I have now noticed without question that something fishy is going on with my Twitter. People will send me messages or emails saying I retweeted you and I can find no record of it. My retweets and likes have, have gone down to about 10 or 20 percent of what they were. But, you know, that's the way it is. It's not keeping me up nights, but I'm just pointing it out in the context of people uh, assembling evidence of mm -hmm. what's going on here. I mean, there's obviously people who are suffering more than I am because they have tried to monetize their Twitter and their uh, YouTube and their Facebook and you know web activities. And when you take that away, it's a real blow to us. Now, I'm not using Twitter in that way, so really I have nothing to complain about. I'm just observing and reporting. But but there's a bigger story here, Peter. Um too, and I know Joe, Joe wants to say something, but but when you when you have done the research, for example, Ben Shapiro, as an example, or insert the personality here, whatever name that might be, and if you look at the number of followers, uh, how does one? And we asked the same question of, of Barack Obama: How does one go from obscurity to that level? Is it just merely spontaneous and organic? And if not, What's behind it? Who's behind it? Russian bots. Yeah, right. And the money trail. And you point this out. And, and th this is why we have to look, because I don't want to be gamed, and I know you don't either. Joe, I know you were going to say well, something no, real just quick. The, uh, the censorship and, what Peter, what you're talking about, the, the banning without actually having to, to ban, like we see on social mm -hmm. media and, and uh, from Facebook to Twitter, where we saw that Twitter, after the election, admitted that they suppressed over 50% of the 
negative tweets about Hillary Clinton and the emails uh, that were released. And this is what I fear what this the censorship is going to be used for is not only to, uh, at this moment, oppose the political viewpoints, but once we see the 2018 midterms and the 2020 presidential election, they're going to use this to censor anybody who is critical uh, or pointing out truths about the political candidates who they want to win. And I see that as a huge hindrance to uh, the free flow of information when we are having a national debate about uh, who should be elected to uh, office. But if they can control the political opposition, specifically uh, you know, suppress those candidates and their social media platform and people who support them on the social media platforms, think of the implications that could have uh, in the national debate for the upcoming midterm and 2020 election. Joe and Doug, we have a challenge, challenges facing us now that are becoming clearer that are enormous. They, they seem to grow bigger day by day, and I'm trying not to get too discouraged, but uh, we really have the fight of our lives on our hands uh, going forward. Those of us patriots who want to help to save our country and those who support President Donald J. Trump, it's, it's going to be a real uh, mudslinging fight from here on out, including on the Internet. And... Uh, I plan to get back to our, our friend uh, Mr. Shapiro for a moment. Uh, I had intended to follow up uh, fairly quickly, I hoped, with a second, longer, broader article, but uh, not to get too much inside baseball, but I think it could be helpful for the listeners and viewers to know somewhat about how this process of journalism when you're publishing in actual websites as opposed to just Twitter works. And... Uh, my first article today on, on Shapiro at American Thinker, I was told, was not doing well. And so it started out as the top article and very quickly got down, moved down to the last spot, number six. And that's kind of a catch-22 because when an article is moved down in the lineup, since a majority of people are accessing websites on their phones now, and I, every once in a while I'll test this out on my uh, smartphone uh, to see what it's like to navigate a website on the phone. And basically, when you're going on the phone, you'll hit the first one, two, maybe three articles, and then that's it. You hardly make it down to number six in the lineup. So I still got over 150 reader comments to that article, but it, it not only didn't have the impact that I'd hoped for it, but also, it seems to have cooled the uh, idea that there should be, there it is, that there should be a follow-up because, you know what is the clickbait today? There, there were a couple of articles on David Hogg, you know, worthwhile articles to shed some light on that character, but they are the ones that people go to. You know, there's yeah, Peter, there's, always there's a Laura a, Ingram thing, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but I wanted to make yeah. sure I asked you about this. Uh, we've seen this battle between David Hogg and uh, Laura Ingram, which should never have been in the first place to the, to the point where advertisers are leaving her show because of uh, you know this call by David Hogg for social justice and gun control. And then we saw her issue an apology, which I don't really think, and I want to get your sentiments on this, I don't believe she needed to apologize because she didn't say anything uh, demeaning to the kid. As she actually referenced in the tweet that she said about the acceptance rates in colleges, and she used the word "wine." 
Yeah. She used the word wine in her tweet, and that was like a, a mortal sin, I guess. Well, it seems to me that uh, m my theory on that would be that uh, it was very quickly made apparent to her that she needed to apologize, if not to grovel, uh, to try to uh, tamp this down. But, of course, apologies uh, in the face of this mob that's after her, including Media Matters and the scores of other left-wing organizations, well-funded, that are out there to try to take down, especially anybody at Fox News, and deliver, as Sean Hannity named it, the kill shot. They tried it with Sean last May and last October, and it didn't succeed. They are lying in wait, these enemies of free speech, for any little thing that anybody says that they can hang around their neck and ratchet up a boycott. And actually, the L.A. Times article that broke this afternoon, which has the statement by Jack Abernathy, the co-president of Fox News, uh, going on the record and saying that Fox News is in support of Laura Ingram, and she will be back on the air after her vacation this week. So hopefully we can have confidence in that statement. And actually, I was apprised of that statement by a source of mine at Fox News. So it was, they were happy, at least today, to get that information out. And I, I said that I would mention it on the program tonight. So I am. Uh, so it's in, you know, the LA Times uh, this afternoon. Uh, so hopefully she will not be taken down. Although the situation is a bit dire right now because, uh, to quote the Times article, it said, the situation has become so dire that even the studio that made Chappaquiddick, the film exposing Teddy Kennedy's crimes from 1969, Chappaquiddick, a controversial movie about the 1969 accident involving Ted Kennedy that killed young political campaign worker Mary Jo Kopechny, even the makers of that film have pulled their ads from Laura Ingram's program. So... You know, there is a right-of-center conservative-themed film that's going to appeal to conservatives, and even they pulled the ads from Laura's show. And apparently uh, last week uh, on her last show before she went on vacation, she only had uh, an ad from IBM, and all the rest were a direct uh, mail, you know, 800-type number ads, which are not nearly as prestigious as the ads that usually appear on Fox News in but, prime time. But, but so. Peter, this is the new battlefield, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you, and you, you are very uh, astutely pointing out when you started out with Ben Shapiro, starting out, look at the money tr behind this, and, and, and look at the the uh, hashtag Never Trump or the, the individuals on the on the supposedly on the right, uh, the Never Trump, however, movement on the right. And the alignment with the progressive left, the fascist left, in mm. their it's a, these are these are some troubling bedfellows, aren't they? And in your somebody commented on my article and they said, hashtag never Trump equals Democrat. The, That's the bottom line here. But it is. you know, in addition to my article at American Thinker, which usually is a very well, it is a very highly trafficked site. And I've been happy to point out when my articles have gotten a lot of page views there, and uh, I want to point out that this one I did not. And not only that, it got uh, it got me uh, fire from both ends. 
Of course, Shapiro's got a lot of supporters out there, and even though the article is driven by the facts, and I don't consider it a hit piece on Shapiro, I just let the facts tell the story, and and that's it. Uh, and but on, from the other side, I also got criticism, believe it or not, that it read like a PR piece on behalf of Ben Shapiro. So I guess you know you're over some kind of target when you're getting flack from both sides. So uh, you know, I ticked off everybody with that article. And uh, you know, I, I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, that's a good place to be because the, uh, what, what better description or example of independent is there when you when you're getting shouts from the left, shouts from the right? I mean, you're getting yeah. so there you go. But well, the only thing that disturbs me about the reception to the article was that because it didn't get a healthy number of page views, and that's the name of the game now. You have to get the clicks because that site and most others rely on advertising, and if they're not getting the click-throughs, uh, that's bad news. So, and, and just to clarify, you're not you're not stating making that statement because you're interested merely in the page views. It's an observation driven by the metrics with respect right. to, um, hey, if you're pro, pro Donald Trump, you're going to get slammed down there on, on the uh, shadow band or whatever censored. So this is all, all of this connects. And if people are paying attention, they can see where all this connects. So go ahead. Right. Yeah. And, and I wish that it weren't that way. I wish there was a website somewhere or that I had a website that could be completely independent of uh, clickbait. But, uh, American Thinker, I, for my money, is the closest, no pun intended, is the closest thing to it. You know, uh, Thomas Lifson is wide open for running articles, but of course he watches the hits, the, the pages once it goes online. And you can't blame him for adjusting the articles accordingly. I mean, that's business. And he's marrying business with a really astute and sophisticated Political conservative sensibility, and you know he's the real deal. So I'm not faulting him or the site at all. I'm just pointing out the reality. And actually, anybody within the sound of my voice, if they could try to find their way to AmericanThinker.com, and uh, please click on my article. It's currently number six on the features list today, and will be on the front page there for the next ten or eleven days as it scrolls down. And uh, if you can at least click on it, it will help out a little bit uh, in terms of uh, promotion there. The title of the article is, Is Ben Shapiro Ready for Prime Time? Question mark. And Man, the, same article is, good, good stuff. the same article is at Hagman, Hagman Report. And I would also appreciate a uh, click through there to help us out there. And, and thank you for your support for that article. And this is a work in progress. I mean, if American Thinker is not interested in publishing... Uh, part two, and I, I can't really fault them if that's, you know, what the the word is from there. Uh, and in any case, it will go up at the Hagman Report. So I have that venue, and I'll just promote it from there. But you know, it's an uphill battle when uh, your old friends who might have, you know, your your friends who have m millions of followers. Uh, are no longer going to uh, retweet an article like that. You know, it's just too hot because Ben Shapiro now is getting the push from somewhere. And let me just, to wrap this up with a bow, I listened to his uh, hour-long podcast, which was run on WABC today. And as I predicted, 
You've never heard anything like it on a station like WABC, the number one talk radio station in the country. And it was uh, Shapiro's typical fast, lightning fast delivery. I mean, he talks at least twice as fast as the normal talk show host, and a number of people have said they find it very off-putting and alienating, and I certainly do. He's trying to cram everything in there, and uh, I don't think it works on terrestrial radio. I don't, but as a source that I consulted for this article, a very high-level source in the broadcasting industry told me uh, he's got the money behind him. He's got Cumulus, which is this huge syndicator, and uh, their content arm, Westwood One. So the money is there to make this work. And even if he doesn't get the ratings that they expect or hope for, they'll continue to push him. Now, in that time slot at WABC, they, for years, have not carried Hour 3 of Michael Savage, who's on from 3 to 5 p.m. They're live, Eastern Time. And instead of covering or carrying his third hour, they have said, well, we want to have it live and local, do traffic updates, news updates that are local, a local host. Well, they've uh, they've stopped that now. The last one to do that was Curtis Sliwa for the last two years there. He's off and actually has another show at another time slot. But now they, they put in Shapiro, who's not only not live and local, his show is pre-taped, uh, you know, hours before in Southern California, even before uh, the news cycle of of the full day. So, you know, it has uh, bad news written all over it, but I think they're going to make it work because this guy has the push. He's anointed as the next, uh, like he's going to be like the Howard Stern of of conservative radio, you know. He Rush Limbaugh does it all, the king of all media. So let's see where it goes. Peter Chalka, wow. thank you so much wow. for joining us. Uh, just a fantastic and a very informative hour. The mechanics again, behind this, it's a fascinating. you got to understand the mechanics. Just understand what Peter's saying and read the articles and yeah. follow them, too. Read the, the articles. Business, the business behind the box. There it is. That's right. That'll do it for us tonight. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. We had uh, a great lineup of guests, Jack Basobic, Michael Snyder, and Peter Chowka. And we are looking forward to a great week full of awesome guests. So we will be back here tomorrow. Don't forget the morning radio shows, then the flagship show at night. Have a great night, everyone.